Hello and welcome back to the Agatha Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Three Loose Nickels in a Sock, Jay. And Joe Nazar's is my co-host, a mayo jar filled with vanilla pudding. See, <laughs> how we doing today, Z? Pretty good, Jack. <laughs> like that one? We'll get a little chuckle out of yeah. you. Yeah. That's like one of the most random ones so far. I mean, they're all pretty random, but <laughs> how are those two things even related? Uh, Not really at all, I'd say. No, I, that's that's kind of was my thought as well, so. They're not really re- like sometimes I make them related. A little inside baseball for your listeners. Like sometimes I have an idea and I make them related. And sometimes I think of one thing. Like in this sense, I'm like, all right, three loose nickels in a sock. That'll be mine. And then I went, well, Zach needs one too. So what is something equally like as strange, but not like an underwear full of pennies? And actually, that probably would have been better. Shit. Well, <laughs> cut this out, actually. No, nah, leave it in. I don't know. Leave it ah, in. You're right. Yeah, perfect. All right. Anyway, so this week. We're not going to do, you know, fuck formalities. We're not going to do formalities this week. Let's <laughs> talk to each other all the time. Uh, so this week we saw two movies. We saw The Last Night in Soho by Edgar Wright, and we saw The French Dispatch by Wes Anderson. Let's do, I'm just going to do off the bat before we get in, before we get La- Last Night in Soho first. I liked both these movies. I thought they both were good, and we're going to talk about why. I also very much enjoyed both of these movies. I had a very good time. I saw them. I, did, uh, I treated myself to a little, little double feature this afternoon. I right did as well. I'll talk. I'll talk about my dual feature because mine was probably more extensive than yours. Is that <laughs> I realized I could. I could have. I thought about doing it two ways, but I thought I went the more legal way. So what I could have <laughs> done is I could have driven to Syracuse, as I live. I go to school in a place that is nearby Syracuse, <laughs> and so I drove to Syracuse. I could drive to Syracuse and watch the Nelson Soho at like three. And then just walk over to the next theater, like the next showing of the French Dispatch, because it wasn't going to be sold out at like 510 and just watch it there and not pay for it. But I was like, eh, I might as well pay for it. I'm not going to be like a scum. I'm going to be a delinquent about it. Mm-hmm. So I watched the movie Less in Soho because it was showing in a theater like right where I currently go to school. And then right after the movie ended, I left the theater and drove straight to Syracuse. <laughs> <laughs> to watch the French Dispatch because it wasn't showing in the, any theater. Like the only theater showing is in Syracuse, so I just drove all the way there and watched it there, and then drove back. Damn. Well, that's dedication, Jack. Yeah. I appreciate that. See, don't say. See, you, you always toggle the the fine line of going, Jack. I really will commend you for the things you do for the show, and then within a sentence, you're like, actually, Jack, why don't you do things for the show? Well, it, it's all or nothing. It's like I have to. Somehow fight tooth and nail to get you to watch a thing that's on like a streaming service that you have ready access to, that you could do from the comfort of your own home. It's spread across, you know, multiple evenings and sittings if you, if you really so chose. You know, just yeah. just really take your time with it. Uh, but then apparently on a whim you'll drive uh, several An hour. hours round trip to see a movie that you had just kind of a passing interest in. So I don't. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what you. Oh, I'm the bad guy, but. <laughs> It's also like the time where uh, Invincible was coming out, and you kept trying to get me to watch Invincible, yeah. and I just didn't watch it. And then I decided, I know what I'll do. <laughs> I'll read the first 48 issues online, scans of them online, and then I'll buy the other two compendiums, read those completely, and then watch the entire first season. Which you did. That's Which I, I did, did those things. Much <laughs> much as uh, sex chagrin. Well, there we go. All right. So... I could not have. I don't know if I would have risked that because mine. Uh, I had a much easier time, first of all, and I. I also never considered doing something so devious as two movies on one ticket. Yeah. Um, but if I had done that, I might have not even been able to get a ticket. 
Or oh, finest really? feet. Like my to my shock, truly, the the showing of the French dispatch that I went to at three PM was uh like it seemingly almost sold out. Wow. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Much more so than the last night Soho, which I saw first. So like maybe that's you know time of day related, but still. Yeah. But yeah, I had no no driving involved. Yeah, we'll do a little movie theater story beforehand. When I went to see the French dispatch, my theater was actually kind of the opposite. There were there were a, a like a handful of people. More than last in last night in Soho, I was one of four people who saw it. This was at like two PM on a Friday, so people were at work, so like that's to be expected. Mm-hmm. And when I saw it, it was like I saw the French dispatch at like five ten. So like still people are still probably coming home from work on a Friday, so you know. But even then there was like maybe 10 people 15 people and i'm sitting in like middle row of the upper part like probably the exact session you'd want and i'm waiting for the movie to start it's like 505 or something and these this couple just walk over and they just sit right next to me and i'm like are you fucking kidding me man you can see what seats are open i assume this was a like yeah this was a theater where there was no assigned seats no, oh, were. but you're saying I bought. Like, saying I, they, I got they a seat. So it's they, seats next to you, anyways. Oh, that might actually be. Yeah, those are both pretty equally bad, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, and then he went. The guy looked at me and went, "Hey," and I was like, "I want to kill you. Like, I want you to die. Like, the fact that you did this <laughs> is appalling to me, because like, I bought when I bought the ticket when I bought my ticket the day before." I, there was there was one person in the row that I was sitting. So they bought the ticket after I did, which means they saw the X over where I was gonna <laughs> sit and went, yeah, right next to that guy. That's great. I was like, this this is this is, this is terrible. I've never done this before going to see two movies. Pretty pretty fun time, I will say. Again, that's probably helped by the fact that they're both pretty good. But I don't I don't know what the uh, what the procedure is nowadays. Cause I mean, really, I could have just walked over to my th- seat, right? Because mm-hmm. it was already reserved for me, and I did already pay for it because it was all on my phone. But I, I wanted to get popcorn and, and a drink for the second one, so I did go out and then go right back in. So but, I didn't just double up, just buy four, buy two of each, and then just. Well, I didn't. I, I, <laughs> I got Taco Bell for lunch prior to going to the first movie, so I oh. ate Taco Bell in my car, and then oh. chugged a Baja Blast. And then I went in for the second. They're the first movie, so I was content for that one. But then for the second movie, I thought, well, I should a, a true feast. I should require refreshment. No, yeah, it was, turned out to be quite the uh, all said and done, quite the quite the outing for myself. Really feel I feel like an idiot every time I buy movie theater popcorn and drink because it's. I tell you that every time. It's insanely overpriced. It really I, is. It, what's crazy to me I, though is like, it, uh, do I live in bizarro world? No, you do. I'm just, but I, I'm willing to pay it. I, I know it's you're expensive. You're more of a shill than I am. I'm just oh, happy God. for the experience, Jack. It's about the experience, all right? Oh my, you're one of those people. The thing I just don't get about the movie theater soda and popcorn prices, I think obviously it's because they're the most popular items, but they have the largest markup. Uh, markup, yeah, I couldn't think of the. They word. have the largest markup of any item because you can get like other reasonable snacks at the movie theater for less money and it's like i gotta imagine like a uh you know thing of pretzel bites is costs more to the movie theater than like you know a handful of popcorn kernels because co- yeah. popcorn kernels are incredibly cheap yeah they're especially cheap as hell. if you're buying them in some kind of bulk deal bulk. because you're a massive movie theater chain yeah and yet the like a medium popcorn is more than a thing of pretzel bites it's it's a strange but whatever i did it anyways i am a shill and i dipped i dumped my my ranch seasoning upon them, and I feasted. 
I had no such thing. Well, interesting about the theater I went to in Syracuse. I didn't. I didn't think we'd get into movie theater segment <laughs> talk, um, but it had like an order system. Like I had like a bar and like a kitchen, and you could like order burgers and oh, pizza. Oh, that's and sick. Stuff. And like it had a button. There was like there had like little trays on, on the... the seats oh. with, with little red buttons you could push. I didn't push them because I didn't order anything. But I was like, can I just eat like a like a burger? That's like, super cool. A big greasy burger just munching away. Yeah, I believe there's a movie theater near where we live, Jack, that has somewhere set up that Right. And we live in Nantucket, famously. <laughs> so maybe we'll have to make an effort to to go there for some some particularly big release. Maybe for Spider Man or something. Oh, that'd be good. Spider-Man. Where I think they have that kind of like they have like a legit bar and, and, and food set up. I think yeah, I think I've been on the one you're talking about. Oh well, shit. It. The the only theater in Nantucket, of course. Right. I've never, even though I'm a big movie boy. Well, obviously both of these. All right, let's talk about the actual movies. Yeah, that's good. So last night in Soho. Oh, one more thing before we <laughs> actually talk. About. I just wanted to say, a couple weeks ago when we talked about the last duel, we said, or I said at least that like most directors do not have, just generally speaking do not have, like, a super distinct style. I don't know if that's, like, a nowadays thing or just... It's probably always been the case that there's, you know... Yeah. There's a bunch of dudes who are just average at, at what they do or whatever. You know, nothing against them. But because we said... Even though we like Ridley Scott and I like most of his movies, I don't know if I... I don't know if I particularly say that he has a super iconic style to me, right? Like, right. I don't know if I could have picked that out. But I will say, between last week and this week, I think all three of the movies we saw... All were made by directors who you can say that about. So yeah, good. I think I think Wes Anderson, especially, he's probably has the most distinct style of literally any filmmaker today. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I would say Edgar Wright and Denny Villeneuve also are up there. Um, And so good on him. Yeah. So last night in Soho, Jack, I also thought it was great. That's a great movie. The twist. Spoilers for us. Just spoilers. Right. Like there, we're gonna spoil the ending of this movie. If you don't want to see. If you don't want to get spoiled, skip like twenty minutes or thirty minutes, or listen to the episode. But you know, mute it, it, play it in the background, wait, or just wait. Go see the movie. Come back. Listen, listen, listen to it twice because you know we need you've you've fallen behind like the the algorithm trends, so you're gonna have to make up for that. Mute it and play it as you drive to the theater and sit in the theater watching it. Yeah, on mute. Don't don't disrupt anyone. Yeah, of course. Don't don't be a dickhead about it. All right, let's be professional here. But anyway, yeah, I thought this movie was uh, really good. The twist was really good. And thinking, like, while I was in the movie theater, I was thinking back on other scenes. And I was like, oh, now that I know the twist, it just makes the movie, like, I'm like, oh, you can, like, kind of see it coming. It, like, enhances the viewing of the movie, which is what you want from a twist. Just like in The Sixth Sense and in Fight Club, like, when you know the twist, it doesn't ruin the movie because you just watch where the hints are. And this movie had plenty of, like, hints where you could probably figure it out if you really, like, looked closely. So I like that. I totally agree, and I think that this movie did something in particular that. First, I should say I don't, I do not frequently watch like horror style movies. Me neither. And I will also say, for this applies to both the movies we watched today. I did not watch the trailers for or pretty much anything about either of these ones. I don't know about you, but like I, I literally went to these just about as blind as I've ever gone into a movie before. I did see the trailer for Last Night in Soho because of I think the last duel because of other movies I've had to see in the theater. Yeah. But actually, the like, the trailer didn't actually ruin anything for me. It gave me like a wrong impression, and then like the twist happened. I was like, "Oh shit, I was wrong." Like, the, oh, it was great. So, so yeah, I went in super blind. It literally, I don't know why I did this because I probably should. I mean, it's not a big deal, but 
I was like, who made these? Because because I was wondering. Uh, not a, I knew it was Edgar Wright, but I wanted to know like the production company. So when literally like that was right before I saw it, I googled it, and doing that, it said like Last Night in Soho is it is it American or a, or a British psychological horror, and it stars Taylor Joy and Thomas and McKenzie and Matt Smith. Prior to that, the only thing of that I knew was that I knew Anya Taylor Joy was in it, but I did not know that Matt Smith was in it, or that Thomas and McKenzie was in it, or that it was technically like a horror movie. So that that would have come by as a real surprise if I hadn't even read that. You were like, "Oh my god, who are these people? Oh, oh god, oh god!" <laughs> but, um, so I, like I said, I don't watch a lot of horror movies or whatnot. But so I don't know if this this is, is more commonplace if you're into that. But for me at least, yeah. I feel like no. I I don't see movies often that do this where. I think the movie did a good job of convincing me back and forth like four different times. I mean, maybe that's exaggerating a little, but of the kind of twist, because I feel like at the like towards the very beginning, I was like, "All right, is the twist going to be that?" It's be against spoilers. Yeah, against last spoilers, chance that the old lady is is Sandy. I I don't know about you. I'm not trying to brag or anything, but that's literally what I thought. I was like, "Okay, it's literally the same house," you know. Yeah. This lady was old, and like she's kind of being cagey about it. But I was like, maybe that's—I literally thought that. But then, over the course of the movie, they did a good, good job of convincing me that that wasn't the case. And then, so then when it came back, it was still kind of a surprise. Yeah, like, and yeah. the same thing applies to the dude, the cop, the cop guy. guy. Yeah, that one really got me because in the trailer, they make it seem like very clear. Oh, he's the guy. He's gonna try to kill her. I was like, oh, when's it gonna? When's the shoe gonna drop? When's it gonna happen? And then they were like, he's ex-cop. And she's like, what? And I'm like, hold on, wait a minute. And then they do the flat. I was like, whoa, yeah. that's cool. I'm like, oh my See, God. This is something interesting. Is like, I thought, I was like, all right, I feel like they're trying too hard to make me think that this guy is the murderer. And so I thought maybe that was kind of a, uh, you know, a bit of a misdirect, right? But it, once again, mm-hmm. the movie convinced me at some point that I was like, okay, he really just is. So then it was, again, the twist of word, like, it's, it's very, very cool that they managed that. Although I will say, again, I, I'm, I feel like I'm sounding like I'm just being like, actually, I saw it all coming. Like I said, I didn't. There was enough like back and forth that I actually was still caught by surprise. But for the cop one, I think they did a quite good job of the casting because I feel like when I saw the young version of him in his first scene before it's revealed, I was like, is that the cop guy? Or, well, not the cop guy, but you know what I mean? I was like, is that that older yeah. guy from the the present? So like, I think that just comes down to casting. Like they I think those actors actually look similar enough where I was like, well, he looks more like that guy than he does Matt Smith. Mm. How'd you feel about the twists and stuff? I thought they were, I thought it was really good because like I said, I saw the trailer and I was like, oh, well clearly it's going to be like her, her trying to catch Matt Smith's character in the present and in the past. Like, you know, mm-hmm. using kind of clues. Yeah. I was like, that'd be an interesting premise. Like, I like that. I didn't think there was going to be a twist that they're like, well, the movie's just like, all right, he's the villain how is she going to get out of it? Like, they're just kind of setting yeah. up a different kind of movie. So that movie's, I mean, just on the premise, like, okay, that sounds interesting. And then I was like, okay, he's he's like, when, right before he gets hit, I'm like, all right, it's building up. Like, what? Like, I, like the movie did a very good job of, like, building you up to it. And then he gets hit by a car, and he's like, ex-cop. And I'm like, wait, but why would a pimp be an ex-cop? Like, almost the same time as the character is. <laughs> yeah. Just be like, wait, he's the guy. He was trying to save her and all this yeah. stuff. And then yeah. he says, Alex, and then then when it gets to the old lady and it goes into her room and you see the statue, I was like, holy shit, it's her. It's Sandy. And then, obviously, mm-hmm. then it gets to the thing. I was like, oh, my God, what's going to – and then, obviously, she tries to kill her, which I didn't exp- – I didn't expect she was going to try to kill her. When she stabs her, like – when she stabs John, I was like, oh, my God, she just stabbed John. Yeah. 
What the yeah. hell? Yeah, I, like I said, I did not go into this expecting a, a horror movie. And I wasn't, I don't think I was ever, like, actually terrified or anything. But, like, a thriller, I guess you could call it. Well, I mean, it was definitely horror. Like, I'm not, yeah. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. But, yeah, I was definitely like, oh. There's definitely a couple intense scenes. There was one, and I can't remember it. No, I was trying to remember before. But there was definitely one jump scare in particular that got some people in my theater. But, yeah, it was, there was definitely some scenes where I was like, oh, God, what's happening? Yeah. Yeah. some heart racing like hold your breath kind of like oh boy yeah they really did the uh when she when like she starts seeing the goats like all those like the guys that sandy yeah. killed and she's like freaking out i'm like oh i'm like i was like really on edge mostly because like i know that she's in public and people can see her freaking out yeah i had that same thought a lot and i'm like oh god i can't even imagine like when she's in um her classes and she just starts yeah her, yeah like, she's having like me- like a mental breakdown because she's very these uncomfortable goes. and i was like oh i feel so bad like yeah she's just trying or she just didn't ask for this she could just see ghosts kind of and like i think they did i don't know i mean i'm not no kind of mental health expert or anything so i don't know how other people would perceive this but i did think it was interesting the way that they added the sort of wrinkle where and it's obviously brought up like you know, directly when she goes to the police of her mother, obviously this part's established early on, but they, they really draw light to it of like her mother killed herself. And so like, she does have a history of like mental illness in her family. And so, you know, when they bring it up, clearly the implication there is like, could this in fact just be in your head kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I ever really bought it, but I do think it's an interesting concept because for a second, at least you're kind of like, man, maybe there, maybe this is going to be like one of those kind of movies where it's a big twist. Right. Like, yeah, it was all in her head. And, like, that's an interesting thing to throw in. I don't know, again, I don't know how people who actually struggle with that kind of stuff feel about yeah, using that it in that way. But I thought that was interesting, at least. Yeah. Because, you know, that was a further wrinkle to it. It was like, oh, gosh, maybe yeah. maybe it is. And, like, because she has that history and the whole, like, she always sees her mom and stuff. I thought that was interesting. I feel like the rule, the one thing I, if I had any, I don't have a lot of criticism about this movie. I thought it was a really, really solid movie. One thing that I will criticize is that her ability doesn't uh, doesn't have a lot of hard and fast rules i totally agree like um, I, I was like i was constantly throughout marching i was like all right what are the i was trying to figure out like what what are her powers like what are the rules mm-hmm. of her ability i get like seeing her mom that makes sense and i get the falling asleep where some where like all that death had happened like that like i'm like okay she's like where death is she can kind of sense it and like see it mm-hmm. okay and she's kind of attracted to it. I can okay, I can see that. But then like it just starts happening in the daytime and it's like haunting her and it's following her outside of that. Yeah, I totally agree. And she can both like I couldn't tell if she was possessing Sandy or just viewing her through the mirror and could other people in the past observe her and be part of her? Could she interact with them? Like it wasn't clear. I totally agree. And I think potentially some of that is intentional. Yeah. Um to kind of again to kind of play in that like man is is this real is she just going crazy kind of thing i would argue that there's certain parts where she is in the in the whatever you call it the vision and then she's not right Mm -hmm. there's that one in particular where she wakes up or she thinks she's woken up and then she really wakes up right yeah and like i I agree that that kind of muddles the the water a little when it comes to this of like yeah I, i agree like you said how much of it is she can she affect it? Because there, it seems like a couple times that she does seem to have some effect where the people hear her. But again, it's like, are they hearing her or are they just hearing Sandy? Like, is she just reliving it or is she affecting it? Yeah, because because sometimes she's in the mirror. She's her Sandy's reflection. But sometimes 
in the scene, it'll swap between Anya Taylor Joy and um, what's the other actress's name? You said her name, and I Thomas and Mackenzie. Thomas, they'll, they'll switch from Thomas and Mackenzie to Anya Taylor Joy, like like when um when she first starts to become a prostitute for Jack, and she's like mm-hmm. she's like I'm not gonna do. This. She walks away. People walk in front of her, and every time it'll shift between Anya Taylor Joy and Thomas and Mackenzie. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, is she just like is she reliving it like she can just see through it and they throughout the scene like but in the beginning of that scene she's sitting in the audience watching anya taylor joy yeah they definitely play fast and loose with that between is she in the body or outside of the body yeah i think i do think ultimately what we're meant to understand is that she is like reliving it in but in like a vicarious way like i don't think she's actually I don't think she has the ability to actually affect any of it. Yeah, essentially, I don't, I don't think she can like feel or she, yeah, she's not like taking over her body in this sense. Like she can't mm-hmm. feel the things that she feels. She can just observe them. Again, like you said, it, it is kind of poorly defined because, like, I think the reason obviously that they started with very early on, they established that she can she sees her dead mother, and they have that little throwaway line about her. Her grandma says that she she feels things and sees things or whatever is to is to kind of hang a lampshade on it right to establish that of like is to set up like she she does have something special about her that allows her to do this because i guess the question is otherwise why you know why hasn't every person who's ever lived in that house felt it kind of deal maybe mm-hmm. like you said it, it seems very poorly defined because it's like does she see dead like does she does she have the freaking the sixth sense ability where she sees dead people everywhere because she doesn't seem to it seems to be tied to this very specific situation here Mm-hmm. other than yeah that and her mother right is it like is is she experiencing it because that's the room is she experiencing it because sandy is still alive and like living in the house with her like is she picking up vibes from her as an individual like it's really yeah. i i almost maybe maybe almost that's it like because maybe the line that uh sandy says older sandy that says ever there's someone has died in every single room in every like place in the city maybe exactly. it's just like a like a concentration point because like, the, the longer she stays in that room the more uh, like it like can find like she's kind of lighting, no, like that a lightning be, rod yeah because she's close to it like she's sleeping there every night yeah. and because so much so many deaths happen there yeah because and then because as time goes on she like they start att- being yeah. attracted to her and like and they say help her, so maybe they're like like trying to find her no, i think they are because they know because well, initially yeah it, obviously earlier on i had the thought i was like okay so i think what's happening here is because even before you actually see it i you know i kind of got the feeling that like this was gonna end poorly for sandy in some way <laughs> um so i was like okay yeah. i bet what happened is she she dies at some point is murdered and this is essentially her spirit trying to get ellie Vengeance. ellie to solve it yeah like hey fix it i mean that's a common trope i think and yeah or stuff with ghosts and whatnot then yeah i think ultimately uh, obviously it, it turns out to be the opposite is that all the other ghosts are actually more or less the victims in some ways. Um, we'll get into that. But that yeah. they're trying to essentially get vengeance on Sandy, obviously. So it's kind of, again, it's like another, just another layer that kind of like twists it because you go in expecting one thing and then they kind of flip it, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, actually, you know, talking through it, I think that kind of makes more sense. It's like maybe because she was sleeping there every single night because she, there was so much death there that that's kind of what came out. And the same way, like her mother, obviously she would see because she obviously was very close to and connected to her mother. Whereas maybe every time she walks past a, uh, you know, a corner where someone got stabbed, she doesn't immediately just is, is not overcome with that, you know? Yeah. 
And that, I, I, have a, I had a theory in the movie that her mother had the same ability, and that may be why she took her life, because she couldn't, like, handle mm. it, perhaps. Because she says, like, your mom couldn't handle London either, yeah. and she came back, and the line about people dying all the time. So maybe it's just, like, her mom kept seeing all these, like, vengeful ghosts that are like, hey. I mean, like, and they're not very, like, communicative communicative until the very end they're just scary as hell so like any person like just seeing weird phantoms clip in and out of reality oh sure scare the shit out of you and again that kind of ties into it more though because of the way she sees them and stuff it it really does make me think maybe she was being affected by sandy like again whatever however the the powers work her, her ability here is like she's picking up on you know essentially the vibes that she's putting out right sandy's got bad vibes man yeah, because she sees all the ghosts or whatever you call them, the way that she remembers them, because she says that, right? That's why they're all faceless, like, monsters, is because she did that to disassociate herself with the actual acts, right? Mm-hmm. And she obviously sees, at you know, at one point, the murder, which did not actually happen like that. And so, it's almost like she's not, yeah, she's not picking up the exact reality of the past. She's almost picking up, like, an, a version of the past. Someone's interpretation of it. Yeah. But, yeah. I thought the story was cool. Do you have much else to say before we get into... I want to talk more like production stuff. I thought... I remember sitting in the movie theater and thinking her like roommate was just cartoonishly like the worst person oh, ever. yeah. That's good. And I'm like, good God, man. Like, just... And when... Because oh, at the point of the movie, they don't reveal immediately that her mother committed suicide. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, how'd your mom die? And she's like, she committed... She's like, suicide. I literally said it a lot. I went, Jesus Christ. And I was like, oh yeah. my God. Like that's just so sad. Now, cartoonishly like, evil is is pretty accurate. Like that roommate's ridiculously mean. Yeah. And then later on, she's like, you know, she got that line where they're in the bathroom, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, can you believe that she brought up her mom be- killing herself for attention?" It's like, no, you guys made her do that. Yeah, you made her. What do you mean? And they're just doing <laughs> cocaine, and then she just works uh, in a bar. She's like, "I'll work at this bar and go to school." And I was like, "What do you? What are you going to school? What What are your grades like? If you're like pulling nights at a bar." At an nah. English pub, no less. I did think that there didn't seem to be a lot of studying going on, but I think maybe. What do you do at a fashion school? She she was working on her dresses and she shit, drawing so pictures she, and stuff. I don't know. Yeah, she clearly got that done. I don't know. They don't do a lot of like essays. I wouldn't. Well, I don't know. I don't want to demean any. Yeah, any yeah I don't fashion. Want, we. It's true. I don't know anybody. Um, I don't know anybody who does fashion. I'll, I knew a person. Did you, are they dead yeah. now? <laughs> oh no, I just don't know them very well anymore. Yeah. So production side of things, I thought all the actors were great in this i agree i've seen thomas and mckenzie in a f- handful of things she's I in jojo rabbit sure. most notable yeah i was gonna say i think that's the most notable one good movie that movie she also has like a very minor role in the king with uh timothy chalamet and i Matisha. like that movie a lot oh very apt then because it is she was great in this uh, yeah. it's the first time i've ever seen her i guess she's pretty much a star of jojo rabbit but she obviously is far and away the star of this and like i said i didn't know going uh, well i mean going right into it but until today i did not know she was a star i thought it was mostly i didn't joy and obviously she is uh she is more so the star of it so mm. she did great and also so, so did any Taylor joy but again i also seen her in a lot of stuff you know what to expect she she's always great too great actresses um matt smith um, is good matt smith is his name yeah he yeah very good he was good at being a pimp yeah, like Skizzy like British pimp man. charismatic enough at first to kind of draw you in, but then also just be yeah the skeeziest real, real dirtbag. I saw an article or a review where uh, they said that Matt Smith's not a great villain. They don't do enough to like convince you of why he's 
actually like it just kind of because it's such a like a sudden turn that all of a sudden you shows you go from like oh he seemed like a pretty nice boyfriend or whatever to like oh he's like a real real dirtbag yeah it's it's almost too sudden and you don't see enough around that to be like why should we should we really like hate him be afraid of him kind of thing mm-hmm. it's more so them just telling you to yeah and i guess ultimately that's because he isn't the real villain of the movie so yeah so yeah well, i would have to agree i feel like the shift from her wanting to perform to being a prostitute was a bit sudden but maybe that is the point yeah like you said. i think so. because yeah. like i think they set it up pretty well like they start with the first scene where she's like going to the club and first meets jack and like ooh, they're like together and then they do she goes and auditions and then they do the scene where she's not the star she's just a background dancer and she hates it i'm like all right that makes sense like that's very much i think what they're trying to do and then i feel like there's one more scene in the middle of that that they need like just one short one cuz i feel like they're yeah. like, like they've done almost everything and they just one part they kind of skipped a little bit i just like one and little again, maybe, exchange yeah maybe that was intentional to like be like hey this is how the, this type of shit goes unfortunately it's like because yeah, I, I agree. I was like, I, I'm not gonna lie. Until like, someone literally said the words. I think I think it was literally not until she was at the police station and they were talking about, it, and they literally said the word pimp. Was I like, oh, she literally is just a, like a prostitute now. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. like I didn't I didn't make that connection in my mind either necessarily. I because I I guess I believed <laughs> him as well. That obviously it was you know very skeezy behavior going on. I mean, more than skeezy, like incredibly fucked up. But like, I, I guess I still believe that it was it was all in service of the. Like, oh, we're gonna get you a job though, or whatever. Yeah, like more like you mm-hmm. gotta you gotta play the game to win the prizes. Yeah, kinda. unfortunately. So let's get into that. So, I think it's obviously pretty safe to say that this movie is somewhat similar to when we talked about the last duel. Right, I was gonna um, mention that as well. I think it's somewhat like I think it's topical, right? I think this this has obviously got like like once again sort of whatever you call it, like allegory, illusion, whatever, to like the Me Too kind of stuff, right? Especially in the context of the entertainment industry, right? Yeah. And the past of the entertainment industry, like looking back on yeah, yeah. the past of what that, happened. Yeah, exactly. Because that's like a big sort of thing people are talking about this movie is like, you know, we have a tendency to glamorize the past. Like, oh, it's the 60s. Everything was nicer. And it was like a simpler time. And it was all... Oh, flash! 007 was in Thunderball. Sean Connery was about to. It wasn't. It wasn't like it is now, where everyone's mean and and gross. But this movie is very much like nah. It was just as bad, maybe worse back Probably, then. Yeah, even more. <laughs> Probably worse. And gross and terrible. It's just. Yeah, it's just really not kind of like we talked about. Last, not to sound corny or like we're making a joke. Like kind of just like it's just the society that they've that has been created and perpetuated mm-hmm. that unfortunately yeah. makes like. Again, any, I think it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very much like supposed to be something of allegory to like your your Harvey Weinstein types and stuff. Unfortunately, that like I, I think he, what he's trying to say with this is like this was and likely still is a like really fucked up dark side of like the entertainment industry that this shit does happen and we gotta we should probably talk about it and, and fucking get it to stop. Face yeah. it. I want to say again, like we were like I said up top, um, I would say Edgar Wright is is up there as one of the best like directors working now as far as like visuals and creating like a really iconic style. Um, and I think he definitely did that in this one. Maybe like this is, you know, some of the most out there visual stuff that I've ever seen from him. I don't know what your mm, yeah. experience is with. Oh, right. Uh, I can never hold on. So he did like Shaun of the dead. He did 
Uh, oh, he did Hot, Hot Fuzz. Fuzz. Yes. I love Hot Fuzz. That's one of my favorite movies. There you go. Uh, obviously, Baby Driver, um, this, End of the World, At World's End. He was going to oh, do Ant-Man, right? He was going to do Ant-Man, and he still has, He, I think he has some kind of producer credit on that. People people attribute a lot of the, some of the more like unique, again, like stylistic things that are still in the final version of Ant-Man. They attribute that stuff probably being to him in, in some earlier draft of the movie. And again, I think that's I think that's on full display here because it is like this fantastical like seeing ghosts and shit. He, he can really kind of just go out there. Um, and music obviously is a big thing in this movie because he loves that shit. <laughs> I think that uh, that aspect of Ellie's character is probably like pretty much like a self insert type deal of like oh I like old music because my my family always played them. I don't know about him. I don't know if that's his specific thing, but I do know that like he loves fucking the old music. He's always putting in his all his movies. Is the old times. Even, again, even in Ant Man, people say like, "Oh, that 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 scene where uh, Yellow Jacket's like, I'm gonna exterminate you or whatever, so, some bullshit like that." And yeah. it, it, some old song starts playing from Siri, and obviously Baby Driver's full of it. Like he's he's all about it, and it's it's on uh, full display here as well. I was gonna say one of the only sort of criticism I had with this movie is I think there was maybe a little too, maybe like one or two too many scenes of. Ellie wandering around and then being like scared by go the ghosts and like freaking out and like running away, because it felt like towards the you know like end of the second act kind of deal that seemed to happen like three times in a row. Yeah, where it was just Ellie enters a situ- social situation, she's scared by the ghost, she freaks out. John is like, "Hey, you all right?" And then she's like, "Yeah, I'm all right." And then it happens again, and then John's like, "Yeah, are you all right?" She's like, "Yeah, I'm all right." And then it happens again, <laughs> like. Yeah. It literally happened, I think, three times in a row because they were like at the party, then they were at, um, no, maybe literally four. Like they were at a the Halloween party, then they were at her, you know, apartment. Then the next day they were at class, and then, and then they were at the library. That happened, yeah. So maybe I not necessarily because they were like terrible scene, but I don't know. They just felt a bit samey. I, I kind of get it, I mm-hmm. guess. I will say it's weird. I don't want to say it's like I don't think this movie is overly long. I mean, it's it's like literally right around just right under two hours. Which I will say again, nothing to uh, nothing against Dune necessarily, but you compare the lengths of these movies to like how much it feels like is in there. You think Dune could have been better? Packed. Yeah. Like I guess it's just a matter of pacing because I don't. Again, I don't think Dune felt like overly long. I don't think it drags terribly or anything. But it's just weird when you look at that and you're like, man, I sat through that for two and a half hours, and you know X Y Z happened in my head. This movie, and also when we get to the French Dispatch, they just feel jam-packed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's all I have to say. I probably don't need to go too too much more into it unless you got some stuff. Um, just about the production? I like the... One, of the one effect that I thought looked pretty bad of all, and that one scene when she starts, Sandy is sitting in the bench, and she constantly is meeting all those guys she has to, like... All the, the men that are propositioning her? Yes. Um, And she's banging on the glass... That does not look good. Like I was like, ooh, they, that doesn't look yeah. great. But I mean, it was one. It was like one effect in one scene that they did once, and they sure. did and they did other like of the ghost banging that looked a little bit better because they were kind of ghosts and it was like that makes sense. So that was like one thing I was like, eh. But other than that, everything else was fine. Yeah. All right. You want to talk about the French Dispatch now? Yeah, let's get right into it. Uh, so yeah, the French Dispatch by Wes Anderson was, I think. About ten minutes shorter than the last night in Soho, actually, because last night in yeah. Soho, I believe, was an hour and fifty six minutes, and this was an hour and forty six minutes. Yeah, and arguably got even more done, like we, like you just said about yeah. how 
They'll get packed a lot. Um, for sure. But I would say I enjoyed this movie for different reasons. I enjoyed both films, but obviously obviously both films were very different mm-hmm. in style. And mm-hmm. it was good to keep it up because yeah. I, I won't lie. I was a little nervous. I was like, I hope I don't get like bored watching the Friends Dispatch like when I watched James Bond. Because I was like, as, a, oh. as we know, famously in our lore, now I have I watched all those James Bond movies in one go. Yes. But I was like, well, these movies are different enough and they're both good, unlike the James yeah. Bond movies. Oh, come on. You know, is that how they're bad? Oh, jeez. You know. I was going to bring up how um, there's three James Bond alum in this. You you probably wouldn't recognize the one guy because he was in the one you didn't watch, the Commissioner of Police. He's the villain in the second Craig movie. and then But obviously Jeffrey Wright and uh, Leah Sadu. Who were, oh yeah, you definitely know them. Both in this one, which is fun. Oh yeah, but go on about how you hate uh, Joey and puppies or whatever. Who? I said go on about how you hate Joey and puppies or whatever, and and oh, fun things. Right, of course. It's just a little bit. There's, I just find James Bond to be derivative and you know quite quite, quite behind the times. And uh, what other words do snooty people say? <laughs> Pedestrian, perhaps. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I won't, I won't keep hitting on your favorite movies, so. Uh, Fred Dispatch, back to it. Uh, so this is basically a little, let's see if you don't know the plot, kind of an issue of, the last issue of the titular Dis- French Dispatch, which is just like a magazine published from yeah. Kansas, run by Bill Murray, yeah. who's the editor. It's, it's like, it is a... It's like a Reader's Digest, almost. I was going to say it's an anthology, is what I was just going for. Oh, you know, yeah. The movie is, right? where yeah. each little uh, vignette is one of the columns, sections, whatever you'd call it, of... The newspaper, or yeah, the newspaper, which yeah, I thought was really great. It's very cool. Like I, I will say, I don't think I, I liked all of the the sections, but you know, it does have that nice quality that is intrinsic to anthologies. Where maybe even if you don't, you know, the next one's gonna be there in a, in a minute. You know, yeah, you're, they, you're not stuck with the characters for too much longer. Yeah, because they are uh, all like yeah, shorter little sections of a movie. It yeah, you're not in any of them for too long, so none of them really have a chance to even get stale. Um, and on the quality, yeah, I thought it was cool. On the quality about this movie, I think we're kind of doing, I think we kind of did two sides of the same coin on this week's episode because we did Soho, which is a horror movie, and this movie is a kind of a comedy. And this, yes, it, it's, okay, it's pretty good at points. So this is this is what I wanted to talk about before when I was talking about my theater. I agree. I also thought this movie was really funny and was intentionally supposed to be funny. Dude, nobody in my theater was giving it anything, dude. It was crickets in there. Really? To the point where, the point where I felt like the weirdo when I wanted to laugh, <laughs> like because like I said, it was it was it, I don't know about the whole theater again, but because I I because of the way I saw them, I literally walked in and like opening credits were beginning, so I didn't see the theater in full light or anything to see what was going on. But my whole row was entirely full, the one I sat in. So I obviously had people directly on either side of me and all the way down and. I swear to God, I hardly heard a, a chuckle out of any of these people. And I thought this movie was genuinely funny and, yeah, and clever. Yeah, it definitely was, yeah. I, like I said, I literally, towards the end, I was finding myself just kind of like stifling it a little because I was like, I, I don't want to be the one weirdo who's like uproariously chuckling in this theater. Yeah. Um, uh, my so, theater was probably those people. Yeah, my, I, oh. people chuckle. People laughed at my theater, and I did as well. Fun. There's like a couple in particular, I, and I don't remember all of them. I think there's a lot of funny stuff. Like you said, it's, it's literally like a comedy. It, it, it's listed yeah. on here on uh, Wikipedia as a comedy drama. Like, so it was funny all the way through. I thought, but yeah, there's only a there's like a couple I remember specifically. There was in the Jeffrey Wright one. He talked about how he got lost in a police station, and oh god, or he's yeah. He says like 
yeah, you know, I got lost or whatever. He's like, you know, we're not we're not great with uh, cartography. That's a famous weakness of homosexuals. <laughs> like, that's yeah, funny. That, that got a big laugh. That's just too. a funny joke. I, and nobody laughed. And I'm sitting here like, oh, God. <laughs> I thought in the in the Timothy Chalamet student one, his two little buddies, I thought those guys' little comments they'd throw in all the time, those, those were dying. Funny. Like, especially, and there was something particularly funny about the fact that there was zero regard for, like, oh, well, this applies to the whole movie, actually. There was almost zero regard throughout for anyone speaking French or English. Like, it should never address, which I kind of thought was fun. Yeah, but he would cut between the two. He would say something in English, and then his little buddies would chime in in French. And like, I, it's, I don't it's know. Something great. about that was very comical to me. Like, uh, I liked well, a couple. Uh, yeah, I really liked some of my favorite scenes, I guess. The, most of the Timothy Chalamet one was pretty funny. I think I was I, I, funny. Just uh, when he's in the bath, and Miss Kermans is just like, well, I'm gonna add all the typos. He goes, "Well, I thought you would just, you know, tell me how great it was." She goes, "I'll start with the typos." And I like, I feel like that one uh, was even what she funny. She pulls, the, she pulls back the curtain or whatever, and he's like, "I'm naked," and she's like, "I can see that." Like, I don't know, this is the deadpan the way they said that was funny. I, I also the scene where uh, he gets out of the tub and it's like runs over really quick and runs <laughs> yeah. back in. That was like that was funny. Or she says, the, "She says it's damp," and he's like, "You mean literally or metaphorically?" And he's like, "Both." Like, come on. Yeah, she I was like, clever. I like, and even the first scene where they're all sitting there, when they're on like the edit in Bill Murray's room, and they're like, "We asked for twenty five hundred words, and she gave us fourteen thousand uh, glossary and appendix." And he was like, "It's some of her best work." And then they're like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and he gives a little comments, and yeah, the guy's like, yeah. "When I were depressed, he goes, you're fired." He goes, uh, <laughs> "He's like, no crying in my office." <laughs> and then it pans off, and I, I thought, oh, it was, yeah, just the I'll, appendix thing came up. Oh, it must have been. I think they were referring to that same yeah, yeah. Uh, character because yeah, her story is the one that where she talked about appendix, and yeah, and it, I think the same thing comes up because the uh, the girl is like, why, like, who puts an appendix on a on a manifesto? Uh, manifesto, and then his his buddies are like, oh, I, I thought it was great, it was the best part, really. <laughs> like, yeah. I really had a good time. I liked I, uh, Adrian Brody. His whenever all his all his things in the painting, he seems, and I've seen clips. He's in the Grand Budapest Hotel. Which is another Wes Anderson movie? Uh, I think it was. I think it won an Oscar, or it was nom. It was. Uh, it was nominated for one at least. And I've seen scenes from it, and the way he talks is very like modern, and he swears a lot, like he does in this movie, and it mm-hmm. it very much like juxtaposes the way everyone else talks in the movies, because everyone else is kind of like has like a little flower yeah. language to them. And he's like, "What the fuck is going on? You fucking asshole! Why would you do this to me? How could you do this to me? It's terrible." Yeah, he was terrific. I guess we should just say uh, real quick, like. Obviously, a, a crazy ensemble again, oh, and yeah. I didn't know any of this going in, so I didn't know who to expect. There were tons but of people, even just so like we got as far as actual stars, they have listed here Benicio del Toro, he's obviously in the painting one, he was great. Adrian Brody, like you said, very funny. Tilda Swinton and Leah Sidhu, um, they were all in that that one. Francis Dormant, Timothy Chalamet, Lena Goudry, maybe that's in the student one, and then Jeffrey Wright, Matthew Malrick, maybe Stephen Park, and Bill Murray. Um, and then obviously Owen Wilson had his little one. Yeah, and then so then down for like supporting, we have Leif Schreiber, Edward Norton. I don't know if you notice him. I know I noticed him. Yeah, Suarez Ronan and Elizabeth Moss. Willem Dafoe's um, thing was crazy to me because I don't know why it was Willem Dafoe. He had like two. He had but again, two. that applies to a lot of them. Edward Norton said nothing in English. No, he spoke so, in English. Are you sure? Yeah, no, he spoke. He spoke almost only in English. I mean, he didn't say much. Period. So I guess yeah. I'm just remembering. Uh, but same with Suarez Ronan. Yeah. Suarez Ronan didn't do much. And I was just like, wait, is that Suarez Ronan? Like, they just got under just a cameo. I think 
I just think that's full of Wes Anderson. I was just going to say, I think that's the Wes Anderson thing. Also, I think Suarez Ronan and Timothy Chalamet have been in his movies before. Or maybe a lot of these people have, actually. Oh, yeah, no. I should, Adrian I should Brody and Bill Murray and Owen Wilson are, like, in almost all of his movies. Oh, okay. Like they're, so I should disclose. They're, they're mainstays. I've, I don't think I've ever actually watched an entire Wes Anderson movie before this. I have only, uh, well, I will also be fair. The only, I'm only one better than you because the only one I've seen is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Okay. So, yeah. But I've seen um, that one twice, so that counts as two. So, but I think, he, three. I think he's got the reputation, right? Like, everyone knows Wes Anderson. Like we said, he's like one of the most like iconic sort of yeah. uh, directors working now. So, I think people are like, shit, I'll be in his movie for three minutes. And it's because it's like you're in a Wes Anderson movie. Like, you're, this is one of those things where like if you were in that movie, you have to be of a certain, there's a certain mm-hmm. degree that he reckon like if he recognizes it in you, other people will be like, well, if he's in this, then he must be worth it and, you know, get more jobs. But, yeah, it's like a crazy cat. Owen Wilson's in it. I mean, he's in almost of his movies, but I thought he was going to mm-hmm. have a bigger role. Uh, but, yeah, it was a very good movie. Uh, it was shot. Um, it had all the mainstays. It had all, a lot of bright colors. It was very sim- oh, yeah. symmetry, of course. Um, yes. A lot of th- things happening, like, a, like uh, especially in Owen Wilson's, um, his piece about, like, the city. Like he'd focus yeah. on a scene, and he just a bunch of people just do a routine, and I thought that was interesting because you'd always have somewhere to look. Like there was yeah. somewhere in the shot where you could look and like watch someone do a thing. I yeah, was I, I had that. I had the same thought throughout a lot of it. I was like, I feel like you could watch this movie several times through and focus on different stuff. Um, it's at times it was literally kind of like the screen was split in half, with half doing one thing and half doing the other, and like you kind of had to decide what you were <laughs> be like. Focus well, on. I'm watching this movie now. <laughs> this yeah, exactly. Movie. Um, again, he, yeah, he has a, obviously a very iconic, uh, sort of style about him. And it, I will say, I don't, I don't know if it's my favorite. Like, I think, you know, it definitely works more in, in moderation, probably like it's, it's fun to see, you know, it's probably a good thing. I guess I'm saying that it's his thing that he mostly sticks to himself. Yeah. Cause I think if every movie got, if every movie looked like this, it would probably be a bit of a, because, a bit of a struggle. Cause not everybody would do it quite as well as he would of course that as well like you said yeah like the set design obviously yes the symmetry of everything everything kind of looking like a i don't know almost like a dollhouse yeah that's one of his big things like a model a lot of a lot of of his big shots i know in the grand budapest hotel when he does the big shots of the hotel are a model he built like a lot sometimes he'll build models and just like shoot that as like an establishing shot like you said the color and stuff um I will say something was cool, and I I think it took me a little getting used to in the very beginning. I was like, all right, okay, this is full on Wes Anderson because again, I, even though I've never seen it, I I know I know what they look like and all, and I was like, oh wow, all right, we're getting right into it. This is this is it, and it took me a minute, but it, obviously by the end, I was like, yeah, this, this is fun. I remember in the the trailer, I did watch the trailer for this, and the comments, the one of the top comments was, this was the most Wes Anderson movie Wes Anderson has ever made. <laughs> there you go. So shit, I guess it's a good one to start with, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> is that? It's like when uh, I always say this about Hateful Eight. Like Hateful Eight is the most Tarantino movie he's ever done. Yeah. It's just dialogue. Like, he wrote like a love. It's like Tarantino wrote a love letter to all his other movies. <laughs> I will say, even though obviously it the movie opens with you know that uh, the editor dies. By the time we wrapped around to it at the end, it it uh it impacted me. I choked up a little. I, I'm not gonna lie. I shed a tear or two. I was like, "Oh, this is sad." Yeah. But like, it was kind of this nice, like, "Oh, he built something really nice here." And like, more so than just they had a good paper or whatever. 
the way he treated all his writers, like that he was just this really nice guy to work for. And like he was, you know, and they say that obviously in the dialogue, but like he was kind of tough with them at times and he, he, you know, he wanted the best out of them, but he also was like really cool. Yeah. The Jeffrey Wright one in particular, seeing the way that he helped out him was really cool. Yeah. Like I, I, I always love the line. I, the one that he wishes, well, just make it sound like he wrote that way on purpose. Like just yeah, fake it till really you good. make it. <laughs> I, what would you say is your favorite then? We're doing the anthology. Yeah, I was gonna, I'm gonna ask you that as well. Oh, I so beat you to the punch. Like, so I think mine favorite, honestly, I, I, I will say, I think the site, the first one, the cycling reporter one, was definitely last for me. Yeah, um, that one's probably the weakest. The other, it really gets hard past that. I was gonna I, agree. Honestly. Like I just thought about, it. I'm like, I kind of like them all. Like they're all, they're all different. Yeah, enough that I don't think I can just say like one is. Yeah, more better than the other necessarily. They're all really good, and they're, but yeah, they're they're different and interesting. I think maybe I have to say, I think the police one has to be my favorite, and then probably the student one, and then the artist one would be, I guess, last. But again, I, they're all very good and pretty much equal in my mind. I think I I I don't know. Like I'd almost. I, don't, I guess it kind of. I guess I'm kind of copping out here, but you know, it's my show. It's our show. Do whatever the hell I want. Uh, is that I'd say the artist one was my favorite. There you go. Because I think that one was the funniest. Like, it had the most humor. Not, uh, like we said, this movie is very funny. But that probably had the most humor because of Adrian Brody. Like, he brought the he most was very humor, good. as he does. And I think I'd have to tie it between the chef and the, the, the student and the police one. Uh -huh. Mostly because of the endings of both of those. Well, I, I think the student one, I liked all the way through. Like, the message was very clear to me, and I like I thought it was kind of, like, poking fun at youth and stuff. And yeah. I, I was, like, in a playful way, and I thought that was No, good. in a very, like, playful, kind of, like, nice way. Yeah. Of, like, like, how you, like every, we all do this. Like, it's just kind of a thing they like yeah. to do. And, you know, we all did it, and they all do it after us. And exactly. it's just a thing that happens. And I got to say, the police one, when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I'm like, I liked it. I did like it, but I was like, ah, oh, this one isn't too solid. And then the ending, like, we like pulled uh, it all together. Like, this one's great. When he, like the last yeah. line, Bill Murray's like, this is the best part. Like, this is yeah. the reason you wrote it. Totally. And kind of Bill Murray kind of says what I said. I'm like, this is like the best part of the whole thing. He's like, I absolutely. Don't like it. And he's like, put it in. It's, yeah, I like the whole. I like the way that one was presented. Like the story of it. Because again, like these all because they're magazine articles. They obviously are meant to reflect. A sort of writing style and they they feel different for that way and i liked the way he told his story very much i am i think yeah we talked about this before the show but jeffrey wright i thought killed in this again everyone was good but he in particular stood out to me big fan of jeffrey wright i'm glad that he's getting all kind of work glad oh, that he's, yeah. in he's got a very Batman nice voice and, i mean we've talked about him already like shit, two like weeks ago twice in the past month. three weeks ago I mean, he was obviously in the what if and then he was in Bond. That's the first thing I ever saw him in. Oh shit! Then... He is the Watcher. Fuck! I didn't even. <laughs> we said uh, honestly, you said his name, and I remember you saying his name. Did not put it together till just this moment. <laughs> of, um, yeah. Oh yeah. He's he's in the fucking MCU he's, now. He's, in, he's gonna be in Batman. I right, know I've never mentioned on this show, but he's he stars in Westworld, which I very much enjoy. Um, he's great. Seen. Good on him. And I thought his character in this was sweet. Like I said, I think yeah the the little interludes he had were maybe more impactful at times than the actual like story of it, which is obviously I think kind of intentional, but like the, yeah, the, the scene where you see how he was hired to write for the French dispatch was really cool. And like you said, that the scene at the end where he talks about, yeah, that, that scene that he cut like was really good. That whole little, the speech about how like this, this renowned uh, chef, he like liked the taste of poison essentially. And was, and was surprised that, 
it was a new flavor and it's something he'd never tasted before and he but he can't like experience it again because he'll die yeah it was it's just yeah. a very you know I'm, i mean we're not much like artsy film people as you can no doubt tell if you listen to any of these episodes yeah. Our snarky tone and our funny episode titles. Well, quotations around funny. We think they're funny. <laughs> uh, but like that one actually was like, well, this is like, I don't know. I felt like a, a real art kid. <laughs> yeah. And he says like, he's like, oh, you were really brave. And he's like, I wasn't brave. I just, I didn't feel like letting everyone down. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man. And, and they obviously Bond were being immigrants and all. Like, really cool. I like that one a lot. And again, like that, that was a funny twist, I thought, was like they send in the chef. And then he's like, taste them all. And you're like, oh, okay. So they they got something else up their sleeve. It's not, it isn't just a poison thing. But then, you know, he immediately falls off his, uh, and, you know, to prove that they weren't, the, the chef immediately ingested the <laughs> poison, toxic poison. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> I also liked when he was like, hey, the chef knew the boy would never touch radishes in his life, but didn't know yeah, the chauffeur yeah. also had a distaste for radishes. And I yep. like, I really like the comic panels. It's like humorously in the comic strip. And like yeah. that style animation was super cool. It was a really well made movie. I gotta say, all all in all, I like yeah. I don't know. I just like all the funny police stuff. Um, of like they they're interrogating the guy to get out the information from him in just these comical ways. <laughs> when they when they throw him out of the plane, and he, <laughs> yeah, it's like all right, here's the question. Really good. And like the the whole backstory of the little kid that he's been raised from birth to be the perfect policeman, <laughs> and it's obviously also this very like. Uh, sort of idealized version of of policemen, right? Like this old timey, like it's not what we think of as cops. It's no. like a '70s French constable guy. Yeah, like you said about the the revisions to a manifesto one. Yeah, that one was really good. And again, I also had a like a nice message. I thought, like you said, it's kind of like poking fun at the youth, but also being like, yeah, it's it's they were doing they were doing what they thought they should and all. And like you like you said, everyone kind of goes through this. And like obviously, it's kind of tragic at the end. But like, yeah, she's not like poking fun at him. Is really right. She's just like, well, like, this he, we all did it. Like he believed what he's doing, and he was about it. And like, you know, he he did something. Like for the time that he was here, he he went out there and and tried. He did what he could. One thing I will say that I thought was strange is that they have sex. And I was like, <laughs> why? It was kind of strange. I yeah. I did think well, they didn't make it into a kind of funny joke. When he's like, I'm a version two. I said with Mrs. Kremitz, but other than that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then she's like, nah, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, I, I guess it was a little weird, but I think it was, it was mostly yeah. kind of funny. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I guess it's like, I, I suppose, you know, given that she's an older woman and he's the young man, it's there's less of like a, somewhat less of a stigma around that, I guess. Yeah. I don't know if there should be necessarily, but that's a, for better or worse. We'll we won't get into all that. Yeah, but but yeah. a, that's a little too much society talk. I really us. thought all of their like arguing with each other as students was was really funny. Oh, yeah. uh, just because I guess probably because we are young, and we bear witness to stuff like that. Oh yeah. Of, yeah, like you say, it's just yeah, it's kind of poking fun at like students, and it's also funny because this is like a period piece. These are these are students from the seventies, right? Mm -hmm. Like very much not students now like these yeah, are like the, these are like, parents students like parents the grandparents potentially even of uh young people now people who are college aged um and so yeah this idea of this is always how it goes it's just kind of like it's like everyone everyone gets a little rebellious it's, and also it almost reminds me of um a series of quotes i once read like a like a chain of them and they're all like going back like all the way back i think to like plato or aristotle 
of just oh, like yeah. older generations talking about how much they don't like the youth. And yeah. the Plato one or the Aristotle one is that he doesn't like the youth because they rely too much on books. They on don't books. memorize their they, lessons anymore. Like they write their, stuff down, their minds but... are soft. They they can't they don't our mind can't remember all the things. It's 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 no good. <laughs> the our gener it's gonna ruin us forever. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I I think I've seen that same thing. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um and also there's kind of like this it, because it's France in particular, I think. You know, that's what they're all about, isn't it? The oh. French love a student rebellion. They love a rebellion. They love protesting in the street. They love a Molotov cocktail and the through a window. And a, a, <laughs> building a barricade in the street. Getting, They're all about getting it. tear gassed by the police. And yeah, I, overall just it, it's just it's very whimsical, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, that, that's like, that's the thing. I, I always I thought that I was like, this is kind of charming whimsical, but then I thought, am I saying this because I've heard a thousand people say that about Wes Anderson? And I kind of no, get, I I, get it. Yeah, I, like, I, I do think it is, but I got my own head a bit. I was like, I don't want, like, I know I like, did watch this movie, like, without being like, oh, I got to look for the whimsy. But, like, it is. It's just like a it's like a kind of charming movie, you know? Yeah, it's just very whimsical. Well, because even the, the vaguely serious ones, you know, like, they're, uh, in the art one, you know, it's like, this guy's an insane murderer, but then there's, like, all these goofy hijinks about, like, hey, if I give you a chocolate, will you let me go see him? And. <laughs> and at his parole hearing, like, yeah, the parole hearing was very funny. You decapitated two men with a bartender with a saw. The first time was an accident. Second time was self defense. <laughs> and like uh, student one, you know, it's like there's a series like they're about to bust it with with riot police and tear gas, and you know they're they're holding it off with a chess game. Yeah. <laughs> and then obviously, like the last one is about a child being kidnapped by like ne'er do wells. Like criminals and, and then it's just it's just kind of goofy though all the police antics the, the strong men they call in to jump on the car yeah yeah exactly. and they run a circle back into the car yeah they they need all the policemen but then also to get the amateur hunting club to be snipers and the in the alpine club to to climb the thing and they're getting shot the at when they're doing the gunfight yeah and they burst and through the walls we sneak in the because it's the chef and even the criminals are like wait is it is it the chef <laughs> The guy, the the world famous police chef. Yeah. I did like when they were describing the like flus, like no sauces. Yeah, it's so, very no funny when he was of crime scenes. When the commissioner is hungry because he's they've been at it for whatever, and he's like ready for food. And he's like, all right, I'm hungry, and then they're like, dinner, 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 <laughs> and then it's like he uh, Jeffrey Wright says something like, oh, he's like uh, Lieutenant Nescafe in the field for the first time in six years, <laughs> like because he's out there like with them at the scene yeah. making food for him. Very good stuff. I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was very whimsical and funny, but also, like I said, I, I thought I had like genuine heart. At the end, when they were uh, mourning the editor, I was like, this is nice. I like, Let's One write thing I really liked is when he used color, when he changed from black and yeah. white to color. Like in the dinner scene when they drink the purple thing and it spins around them in color, or when she like um, looks at the, the commissioner's son with her eyes and that's color so you can see her blue eyes. Like I thought that was very good. Like it, like it very, it stands out because it's supposed to. It's like this is a very important moment, and here it is, and now we're back. So you're like, you remember it in your mind. Mm -hmm. All right, I think we could probably move on. Right? I think we've got enough whimsy out of it. Uh, let's yeah. get cynical. Let's get cynical. I literally, I think the next topic is cynical, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How have you got enough whimsy, folks? Because that's it. That's our yearly whimsy allotment. <laughs> Which is good because we're near the end of the year. But hey, from now on, it's not a lot of no, it's a, it's a rolling year. Oh, rolling year. Okay, so you don't Halloween. get any more whimsy out of us till next October. 
Nothing but horror movies from here on out. <laughs> Nothing but Jack not liking the things that everybody else likes. That's right. We're just gonna me suck. forcing <laughs> me forcing Jack to watch things and him not enjoying it out of spite or out of just genuine dislike, which sucks because the Marvel movies are coming up and I want to see them. But mm-hmm. rules are rules. Yep. If there's one thing that we do in this show, it's we stick to something. Uh, so that attack into Dune reactions. Yes. So we'll so, do our famous talk about other people's reactions to a movie a week after we saw it. Which we didn't do for last two, I realize. Or James Bond. Uh, it's only when it's like. Yeah. I think it's only when we got something to say. Yeah, it's right? president. Uh, so, so I, I want. Well, I think I think no, I. No, go ahead. I think I should start this section because Zach liked this movie. I did not. So the people who like this movie drive me insane because I don't I don't get it. Maybe that maybe that's a character defect. Who knows? You're not a therapist, listener. <laughs> what are you What are you doing judging me? I'll fight you, man. I'll kill you. Well, because basically this is gonna uh, circle around the people who like this movie really like it. Like, the reaction has been very positive, outstandingly so. At least like of some you know a vocal minority i guess you would say i'm sure you know it's it is doing very well financially a lot of people are seeing it and the overall mood seems to definitely be positive but there's definitely people who are very outspoken about how how, just how good they think this movie is truly i and zach and i have had extended conversation about this for text the other day i believe he pulled it up so we could talk about it i'll I'll probably reference back on these but like reference back on mine too so i remember my points yeah yeah people are I'm essentially acting like this is this is revolutionary. That's the thing I keep seeing a lot. This is maybe not the exact words, but that sort of mood around it is that like this is really like breaking new ground. This is something like totally unique, and that is a particular point that I cannot like. I just don't cannot agree abide. With. Yeah, and not again. I I like this movie more than you. I liked it just fine. I, I definitely would say I enjoyed it like for sure. But I don't see this whole idea of like it's totally unique and. It's not Dune's fault. I also don't think it's like a flaw. It, you don't have to like reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing you and I kind of reiterated is because Dune was so influential and because so many things sort of like based themselves off of Dune and, and drew inspiration from it, there's very little on here that is truly like unique. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, and we talked about this as well. People are acting like, again, they, they really like did something crazy by adapting this movie. Here's the thing, man. Like, this movie is, this book, I should say, like, the obviously Dune is, like, 60 years old and the most successful sci-fi book of all time. It's yeah. not exactly, like, other than the idea that Dune is very, it, it's been long considered to be unfilmable. Other than that aspect of it, the idea of making a movie of Dune on paper is pretty, like, pretty obvious, I guess. You know? Mm-hmm. I don't think that in and of itself is... uh yeah, it's just not like. Yeah, like I remember I echoed a point. And I'll repeat it because I think I went to my own heart. I thought that was a pretty cool line that I said <laughs> over text. Is that this movie, as you said, is a most famous science fiction novel of all time, and has already been a movie by David Finch. So and a a sci-fi miniseries. Sci-fi miniseries. Like so, this is the fourth time, third time it's been adapted. The fourth time someone has seen Dune, the world of Dune, and yeah. like I said in the text, call me verbatim. If you break ground more than once, you're just digging, my man. Like right. there comes a- And again, we're not trying to say that it's bad because of this. No. I just don't know why this is a particular praise that people are dumping onto Dune. Yeah. I just don't see it. It feels very much like when we talked about the Green Knight, uh, very much in the vein of Green Knight, because that movie, in a sense, not to the same extent, I will say, but very much that we noticed, people were 
going crazy about how it was like a next fantasy classic. It was an epic of unseen proportions, and mm-hmm. we just didn't see it. Yeah, like and like I hate to say this because it it feels very cynical, and I don't I don't like being cynical if I can avoid it. Yeah. I like to be kind of much to much to the contrary. Our show listeners, right? We don't like being overly cynical, but like it does kind things. of. Yeah, it does feel like people are kind of like, well, you know, people, I bet people don't like this because it's too too cerebral. It's too smart for them. They just don't get it. So if I talk about how much I love it, everyone else will see how smart I am in comparison because I get it. I get Dune. I'm not like those other people. And again, maybe that's that's me being a little too cynical, but I, that is kind of the vibe I get from some some people. It's like, oh, everyone's talking about Dune. I got to show that I also really like Dune because I'm smart. I, I'm not going to get left behind, you know? Yeah, exactly. I know it's up too. I'm on the. I, I I'm smart. I'm on the up and up. I know. I read Dune in 1965 when it came out. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm 30 and wasn't even weren't even alive then. It's just like a combination yeah, like, of things. Like it's just. Uh... I, I said something here. Um, I'll, again, I'll just read this text I sent to you. I said, even if it's the most faithful recreation possible of the world and the characters, done by a filmmaker who has enough creativity to make it stand out as a genuinely competent and unique film which i would argue denny villeneuve is literally that filmmaker yeah i think he achieved that with dune ultimately it is still an adaptation and it is like this is a book this is a story that's been known to heap all this praise onto dune is like they really went for it they actually like for once an original story with they they actually like came up with unique elements but they kind of didn't yeah because this is from a book and we we were talking about someone on my instagram feed was saw dune and was talking about it and he specifically was saying like oh why can't star wars be like this anymore why can't star wars push the envelope of what's possible and you know everything in star wars feels so stale why why can't we have unique planets and and cultures and i wanted to be like bro arrakis is just tatooine yeah like again i'm not that's not a bad thing i know that if anything obviously star wars stole stole tatooine from dune my, my point though is just to be like to see to watch dune as a star wars fan and your first thought is man i wish star wars could do more things like this like dude dune has like three planets like two of them are one scene mm. right Maybe there's four or five. I'm exaggerating a little. But my point is, like, 90% of Dune takes place on Arrakis, which is just a big desert planet. Yeah, completely deserts all the way down. And obviously the Fremen are unique culture on there, but if we're being honest, we didn't actually get much of them in this movie. No. That, like, so it, and I think this is another thing we said. I feel like a lot of the praise for this movie is potentially, and we might have said this last week too, is coming from people who know the books, and so they know what to expect. And so they can see the writing on the yep. wall of all the payoff and all the cool stuff that's coming and, and how if they carry forward with this level of, again, like competence, right? If, yeah, faithfulness. if they can make the second movie as good as they made this first movie, then they can say, like, man, that's, that's really going to be great. But as is, it feels like they're seeing stuff that's not there. Yeah, stuff that... Because it's they're putting the cart before the horse. They're jumping they're literally jumping to conclusions because like for all intents and purposes dune part two does not exist in any form so you cannot make assumptions about how good it's gonna be Mm -hmm. with any like true certainty yeah until next uh, 2022 2023 whenever the next one comes out 2023 until october 2023 when part two comes out and you'll see like it's schrodinger's cat man it's both I good guess, and bad. 
We should like, say that. I don't know if we mentioned it yet. It has been confirmed that they're getting a part two at least. So like we we do have that going for it at least. Yeah. But yeah, and 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 I think it is a safe bet that it will be similar of similar quality and it will probably be really good and and as a two part in particular it it probably will really stand out and be something really enjoyable. But yeah, again, as a part one, it feels very much like a part one, which is not obviously they did what they're going for, but I just don't see how people can hold it up quite yet as like a, a new classic of sci-fi of film i've literally seen like multiple people say this is going to be a, a landmark in sci-fi storytelling and again i want to be like this is a if, if so i want to be like they're not wrong right it already is because yes dune was very much a, a landmark in sci-fi when it came out 60 years ago yeah like and and again this movie you can't really hold this up yet as that when the second part isn't out, especially last week when it wasn't even certain that there would be a part two. Like, could you imagine? Unfortunate as that would be, if this, if Dune part one existed alone and the second one was never made, I think you'd have a pretty hard time making an uh, argument that it it redefined the genre. Yeah, it was half a film. Like, you'd be like, oh, we're still flying half a ship. You know? Or, yeah, I, I, I think that's really what it comes down to. Is my disdain for these people i disdain is pretty hard dislike disagreement i think is the best mm-hmm. word to use not disdain that's a bit too harsh it's just like what you said like this already happened like that'd be like saying episode nine of star wars is a landmark in sci-fi like yeah yeah <laughs> i guess but it was a landmark in 1977 with episode four like it mm-hmm. already did that the other thing um we talked about is that again this movie is very visually appealing and again he denny villeneuve has a very specific style i think in a lot of his movies and it comes through in this and he does great and i also should mention i didn't i don't think i brought this up last week i like denny villeneuve a lot like don't get me wrong i don't want anyone to misconstrue me here like his three most recent films before this are unironically some of my favorite movies all of which i own like on blu-ray what are they again i don't uh blade runner 2049 i have to watch that one uh, sicario and arrival oh he's arrival oh, i do like arrival yeah. a lot and you love i was gonna say I you also arrival. i know you love arrival I do so love like arrival. We, we'd like this guy don't get us wrong but uh what i was gonna say is i feel like again some of this praise could be coming from people who've read this book and i said this to you i think there can definitely be something very special about seeing like a book series in particular because a book you know books are not like a visual medium in that way seeing it brought to life seeing like it it visualized in a very concrete way because obviously your imagination reading right but seeing it you know in the flesh with the costumes and the sets and everything can be really awesome and so if you were a book reader i i can only imagine that this would be like really great but the other benefit of being a book reader is that you have you already know the story essentially yeah so i think and if you want to say that Dune as a movie, it works better if you've read it, that's fair, I think, and fine to say. Um, but I think you should, you know, that, that just needs to be noted if that's the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it does feel at times like this movie is a little bit more flash than it is substance. Uh, substance. Yeah, it, a little more flash. Like a little, it, it feels a little bit style over substance at times. Yeah. That he did get caught up in making the world and visualizing it and, and doing all these very impressive landscape shots and bringing all this stuff to life and doing all the special effects. And at times it feels, and we said this last week, like there's a little bit lacking in terms of actually making sure you understand the story. Mm-hmm. And again, I think in an adaptation, that's a valid 
route to go is, hey, we're adapting a, a story that is already existent as a book, right? We do not need to reinvent the wheel when it comes to this story. It's already out there. Yeah. Because this is a movie adaptation of a story that already exists, we should focus on the things that a movie does well. Which is visuals. Visuals. Yeah. I totally understand that. I just think it should be noted, and I think that's a thing that is fair to bring up, is to say, no, maybe this isn't a perfect movie as a movie. Maybe this is the perfect adaptation of Dune into into film. I don't know that it's a perfect film period, though, and I think it's fair to, to point that out. Yeah. Like, it doesn't... I, I feel like some of it might come down to people wanting... I think... Did we mention... I know, with The Green Knight, it's very similarly just being like, oh, well, no, I, I know I know about movies. This movie is clearly the best because of this. But it's like, you can just say you didn't really like... like you can just say, I liked these parts and not these parts. Like, you don't... It doesn't have to be an all or nothing. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's... I feel like uh, with a lot of movies, not even just, like, artsier movies, like Green Knight or um, Dune, even, like, Marvel movies and stuff, or superhero movies, like any movie, people, I think, if it gets popular enough... People go both ways, where they go either, I hate this movie and everything it is and everything it stands for, or mm-hmm. I love this movie and it can do no wrong. It's like, well, you can't do extremes because then nothing yeah. nothing really can change. Like, you can't fix anything. If it's all bad, then where do you start? And if it's all good, why, do, why even, like, what's even the point? So there has yeah. to be middle so you can, like, have somewhere to even, like, begin. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it feels kind of cynical to to phrase it like that of like oh i bet people you know when people like something they're just doing it to follow the pack or when they hate it they're just trying to be different right but i i think for better or worse that is a reality at times at least on social media yeah i exactly on social media in particular which is where we're getting a lot of this because we're not we're not doing field research (laughs) we're not i don't think i've other than you i've not spoken yet to anyone else in real life who's even seen dune yet i don't think i don't think anyone the only people I know who have seen Dune besides you are, I think, my parents and the people I watch Dune with. Because I asked them if they <laughs> wanted to watch Dune. I was like, do you want to watch Dune? And they were like, I guess. Isn't that weird that how that happens sometimes? Is that these like massively popular movies, it can feel like, man, I don't really know anybody who's watching this. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it can feel like that. All right. You ready? You done with... Uh... Yeah, I'm done. Dogpiling on Dune? I'm done getting mad about Dune. I mean, we use up all our okay. whimsy, but we'll never run out of cynicism. Ack attack. Ack attack. Actually, this this goes right back on that, Jack. We lied. It was all a ploy because we're right back into whimsy. We're talking about Lego Star Wars Terrifying Tales. Ooh, in, uh, yeah, baby. In honor of the Halloween season. Um, so, if anyone doesn't know, it's it's a Disney Plus little animated Lego Star Wars special for Halloween, Halloween essentially. Bunch of little spooky, spooky little stories. What did you think of this, Jack? Uh, I thought it was pretty good sometimes i liked it more but i on the whole it was good i think i think it's fun i think it it knows exactly what it is yeah so don't expect anything else out of it 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 pretty much is what it what you would expect out of the description we just gave that sounds like it's you'd be into that you probably would be if you're not not you're not that's fine as well no shame Um, i I definitely say it would it would trend younger as far as target audience but it's one of those ones where they do it well enough that i think Adults can enjoy it. Like we, we got a, a fair yeah, bit we're, of enjoyment. We're big out boy of it. adults. We, we, we enjoyed it. Yeah. Something I will say about the Lego Star Wars stuff that it always impresses me, and it applies to this too, is that they actually do a 
a like impressively good job of trying to stick to canon. And I've I've talked yeah, about this before. Do. These Lego things, but they do, and they even down to like little references that have no reason to be in there. Like the one in particular that stands stood out to me in this one is when Podemon is talking to um Grabala and he uh mentions like, Hey, you're not the first hut I've dealt with. That's because he that's an extensive part of the Podemon comic is dealing with a hut. So like just little details like that that have no reason, yeah. like strictly speaking, to be there, but they're just doing it because clearly the people who make this care about canon stuff too. And this also is something I mentioned before, these Lego Star Wars things have something of like a a soft canonicity to them and that obviously right, yeah. the exact way they're presented which is to say you know obviously in the form of little Lego characters and you know all the hijinks and goofiness that can ensue from that and the uh, the tone differences right and then the character differences and, and all of that can ultimately chopped up to how it's presented again as a Lego thing but Broad strokes wise, a lot of these events are kind of accepted by um, a lot of fans to be canon to some degree, and I think this right, could yeah. apply to that. That could apply to this as well, and I think it also applies to the holiday special for Christmas that they did last year. In that they both actually do this, which is really interesting, and I hope we get more of at some point. They both touch on, I should say, uh, the concept of Ray reestablishing some form of Jedi Order, because this one obviously yeah. has that little sing at the end where what's his name dean is poe is like yeah poe's like hey you should talk to my friend ray and the christmas special actually deals very heavily with ray training finn to be a jedi so oh right um, he's force sensitive i forgot jj abrams threw that in at the end because he uh wrote a bad script so like anything surrounding this you can kind of probably like more or less ignore but i think those kind of broad strokes of hey this is they're making an effort to tell us that following the events of episode nine ray is working on bringing back the jedi which i think is super fun yeah hope hers are better than luke's yeah you hope it turns out a little better <laughs> yeah a little, that never does does it mm-hmm. uh i will Dude, say i have always liked that ray has a yellow lightsaber i think i've said that it's before. really good yeah, it's so good gonna... I, I lightsaber is super cool i was like oh i was like a big soy i was like i know about yellow lightsabers She's got a very interesting design. Yeah, I will say uh, the character of Grabala is is a long, long-standing Lego Star Wars character. He's in uh, basically this. I think this new sort of crop of Lego Star Wars stuff can be traced back to a series called the Freemaker Adventures, which was like an actual multi-season show that had like several episodes to it. it started in 2016, and it had 13 episodes in season two, 13 episodes in season one. So like. A legit kind of show, right? Yeah. Which I very much enjoyed. I thought it was super fun at the time. And it, again, it has a similar tone to like the characters in that are canon. They are real. And they're, again, it, one of the characters in that is a is like an aspiring Jedi who presumably goes on to somehow tie into that. Um, he, he literally meets Luke and Leia at one point in that. So, oh. so yeah, it's just a, it's just, it's just fun. I don't know. It's cool. Uh, what was your favorite of all of them? I guess it's another anthology thing. Like yeah, Dispatch. definitely the Wookiee's Paw. <laughs> yeah, I'd have to agree. It, it, you know, it really remind. I don't know, we didn't really talk about it during when What If was out, but all over Instagram, all the time, I would people be like, we need a Star Wars What If. And yeah. that just felt like a Star Wars What If to me. It totally, like, yeah. Like, what if really Luke just, like, joined the Empire 
Absolutely. Well, and that's very like, um, again, that's, that's what was supposed to happen. And it felt very natural. Again, even though it's just a goofy kids thing, I think they did a good job of like, yeah, that is, I think what would happen. Like all the little things they threw in throughout that. I was like, yeah, that, that is what would happen. Like, because Luke wanted to join the empire. It's, it's kind of like glossed over, but when he says in a new hope that he wants to go to the Academy, he wants to go to the Imperial Academy. And like, he has these plans of, he'd probably go there, get trained and then defect to the rebellion. But, Ultimately, that is what he was planning to do. When he yeah. says he wants to leave the farm to go into the academy, it's the Imperial Academy that he's going to. Yeah, he's like going to Hogwarts. He's... <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that had the potential to just like happen. Yeah. Like yeah, if, if things had gone to Tashi Station and get those power yeah, converters. Exactly. And then like the idea that Leia and actually, er, so R2-D2 gets to Obi-Wan, I guess, with the message, um, but without Luke. And then Obi-Wan somehow orchestrates his himself to save her and then he's at the battle of yavin and she's at the battle of yavin it was it's really interesting i don't know it's oh, yeah. super cool um star wars actually has done something of a what if in the past it's called star wars um infinities just in case anyone is interested interested it's it, there's i think it's just three issues of a comic essentially or i think i think the three graphic novels is what they technically are and it's basically one for each movie uh, the original trilogy it's in episode one or sorry rather episode four the what if is what if luke's the uh death star didn't actually explode when they shot it right oh. um the one in uh for empire strikes back is what if luke skywalker had died on hoth and the one for return of the jedi is what if han solo stayed blind which is, I think, the weakest of them, and also the weakest premise of them. But <laughs> yeah, I would, I would say that one's not super interesting. I don't think. But yeah, I just thought this was fun. I don't think we have a ton to really talk about, or I can't imagine no. you do. No, I really. I just like the Wookiee's no. paw one. Uh just very in, you know, from the perspective of, it's obviously a play on monkey's paw, which was right. just fun in and of itself. I really, I had to read the monkey's paw recently for class. Like the actual story. The actual one. Man, I'm familiar with the concept of the monkey's paw. It's a very, I mean, it's a play, like, correct? The original? No, it's like a short story. Oh, no, oh, jeez. Yeah. One of my friends read it for a project in, in theater that I took in high school. I thought it was, or maybe it's been adapted to a play then. Maybe, probably. It's probably like, it's probably like an old ass, like, fable, actually. There's probably all kind of. Yeah, it, I mean, it's just like be careful what you wish for. So it's yeah, probably one of yeah. those things where that story's been told a hundred times, a hundred ways. So um, as far as the uh, the one where that deals with Luke or not Luke, rather Ben and the uh, the Knights of Ren, that was kind of fun. Um, it's like a very watered down, kitty kind of version of what how that actually went, but still kind of interesting. I thought the <laughs> the one with the just Maul and General was fighting. That one's like probably the weakest of just like this isn't this is just kind of flashy like goofiness. Yeah, yeah, I wasn't super crazy about that one. From my perspective, I was just like this is there's not much to this one. Yeah. Maybe we'll probably move on, right? Do you have much to say? No, not really. I probably just say. thought it'd be fun because Halloween. It is a fun little thing to watch Halloween. Yeah. I was gonna watch it because it's a Star Wars thing, so you know me. Yeah. And I was forced against my will to exactly, watch it. Exactly, as usual. As usual. So what do I think I can do next? Um, so Here. the Eternals comes out next week. Yes, it does. And we were originally going to do our, our, at this point, classic predictions for a Marvel movie segment. But I think we, we both kind of came to the conclusion that due to the nature lot. of this movie, yeah, we don't have a lot of specific 
predictions for it uh yeah. because it's entirely new characters and seems to not have a lot of at least within the main body of this this film does not have a lot of connectivity to the rest of the marvel universe there's not a lot we can like pull tie into it and yeah um unless um, uh, other than literally just sitting here and like predicting the plot yeah. which is not what we did in the past the past was like what kind of references and tie-ins and like easter eggs do we think are going to be in this and for this we don't have any of those i i do know they reference superman like oh. directly by name like, like the dc character yeah and it's like it's it's become somewhat of like a because icarus people have, like obviously people are like he's like superman like i think fatos or fatus or whatever the, the hephaestus mm-hmm. kind of guy is he has a son and the son meets icarus uh and is like you're like superman i saw you on the news you fly and shoot lasers and have a cape just like him and huh. he's like I, he's like i don't have a cape i did see that and I, I, think the, I think i saw that clip did they say superman by yeah. name because i don't I don't remember like sh- okay, so that clip they cut out oh. the Superman, but I've seen like screenshots with captions where they say the thing, and I've seen stuff where the director Chloe Zhao has directly been like, "Like, why is he in this movie?" He goes, "Well, because I mean, Superman is Superman. Like, he's why can't we reference him in our thing? He's like a icon of superheroes. Yeah. Like, Superman, there's there, we don't exist. So I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. All the DC boys are like even Marvel. I'm like, guys, that's the best you can hope for." So I think, well, I guess we should address this if we're going to talk about Eternals, is that early reviews are unfortunately trending negative for Eternals. I, I've seen mixed stuff. I've seen some people be like, this is a good movie, 8 out of 10, not 7 out of 10, 9 out of 10. And I've seen some articles, which I kind of wish I didn't because it makes me nervous. I won't lie because I do want to like this movie. I think, I hope this movie is good. I really do. <laughs> um, when we see it next week, that's like, this movie's not good. And I, from what the just the headlines have said, I can kind of see where they're coming from because it says, from what I've seen at least, and I don't know what you've seen, probably similar. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of exposition they got to do. Yeah, and that bogs down the film, which I think is just an unfortunate kind of thing they got to do. Yeah, that's uh, that's essentially the same kind of thing I've heard is that they more or less kind of unfortunately bite off a little more than they can chew. It feels like. Yeah. Is that Which, they just they just do a little too much. It this is like a it truly is, and this they've been saying this for a while, but it truly is like the biggest MCU movie yet. It's it's trying to do a lot, and unfortunately, it apparently kind of falls flat on some of that, and so it ends up not feeling as as good as it should. Right, and I think, and I haven't obviously we haven't seen the movie, but hmm. if the worst thing is that there's too much exposition. I don't think I'll mind because I, personally yeah. we are big old lore boys. So if they're mm-hmm. just telling me shit, I should know from the Marvel universe. I'm going to eat that shit up. Like it's canned. Like I just like that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think the reality is that this is, is this movie probably is just fine. Like literally just fine. Yeah. And that's okay. I doubt it's terrible. I, Cause I haven't seen anything of that, but uh, I, I think the consensus is just like, it's not as good as it could have been. It's not as good as, we probably expect from Marvel movie. It's not as polished, and that's just, just what it is. Um, I'm sure we'll like it just fine, uh, but yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised if if I did, you know, kind of agree with some of these because yeah. if what they're saying is true, I probably could see myself agreeing more or less with some of these points. And, and I almost think that like they almost kind of have to sacrifice it, like how people don't really like the first Thor movie people don't really like, like is kind of weak. Uh-huh. And the first Captain America, I mean, admittedly is weaker than the other ones. 
And because of this universe is so connected, this movie gives them 11 characters to use whenever they want. Yeah. So they're kind of like, well, they're kind of doing a quantity versus quality kind of thing here. They're like, well, we could, if they, I mean, realistically, they could probably cut down the characters, probably take out Black Knight, truthfully, because he doesn't have anything to do with the Eternals. Or I would say a number of the Eternals. Well, that as well. Like, to keep it down to like five, five or six of the main Eternals and like reference the other ones if you want to use them later. Mm-hmm. But I think they're like, well, it's 10 characters. That's 11 guys we can put wherever we yeah. want now and just do sure. whatever they want. So I think, I, th- I think it'll, I think they have a plan to use them. And I think when they show up later, it'll probably yeah. be more what because people want them to be. In the past, we've criticized DC for trying to, to do the Justice League movie without doing the kind of requisite legwork in solo films building up the Justice League. Yeah. And admittedly, this film is doing essentially just that. They are introducing entirely 10 brand new characters in the movie and also establishing them as a team in that same movie. And so I can imagine, I can see how that'd be difficult. Um, yeah. And like, we'll, we'll revisit this next week and once we've actually seen it, but I think it's almost fair to kind of ask why did they decide to do an Eternals movie? And we have said, I, or at least I've said this on this show before, like as much as I came to really enjoy that uh, Neil Gaiman Eternals run and like I do think that they're interesting characters. I when I first heard about it and even to this day I'm kind of like it does seem like a weird choice. Like the MCU is not as as big as it is and as much as they've already done. If we're being 100% honest, it is still not so big and they have not introduced so many characters that the Eternals are the next obvious step. Yeah. Right? There is literally realistically a good probably dozen characters that we could all think of who are more significant and important to the Marvel Universe and, and more famous, well-known, and iconic that have not been covered yet in the MCU that the Eternals, if we're being honest, are like, I don't know, like D-tier, I don't know, E-tier, like comic characters. They are not well-known, even to yeah. f- people who read comics. Like we do. Like, they don't, I yeah. have never heard of the Eternals before. Yeah, they don't, they don't come up a lot. They are not really notable, like in even like crossover events and stuff, they don't, they're not usually coming around. Like it's just, they are obscure even among comic fans. And yeah. it's kind of a weird choice. It, and it was, I think we all kind of always thought that. Um, yeah. I, I would have to agree. Uh, this, this phase four, they're taking a lot of, even with, I remember when phase four was announced with, I remember I've, I've, I've said this a couple too many times just to, but with, when they announced their new Shang-Chi and the Eternals, I was like, who the fuck are either of these people? Like, I don't care. And Shang-Chi hmm. makes sense because they kind of like, well, we kind of got to do the Mandarin. Like, we kind of got to set up these other characters. And Shang-Chi is important, but he's an Earth character. Like, he's not hmm. cosmic. So, like, they can kind of just throw him in, and he's, like, not big special effects. They can kind of put him in anything else they want, and he kind of fit. He fits pretty well. But like you said, the Eternals are space. Like, they're, like, high-concept Jack Kirby bullshit, new gods kind of yeah. shit. And I have my own problems with the way Jack Kirby looked at the Eternals and the New Gods. I think he looked a, he was a bit too ambitious. Mm-hmm. Which I'll I maybe I'll I yeah I'll touch on next week more because yeah. it's the episode. But like I I'm just I do think Marvel when going on will pull it off and will find some way to make it work. But I do agree with you that 
Like there are characters we haven't gotten yet. We just got Kang and we're haven't gotten the Fantastic Four. Like that's or the X-Men. Like all these other characters who are like the characters. Mm-hmm. And I do think I, I totally agree with you, is that the Eternals are are very like large in, in scale and scope. And again, that that's what people are kind of criticizing that this movie doesn't do necessarily perfectly. They are so like grand and large and, and epic and spanning like centuries and or not even like millennia. Like it's very high concept stuff. And it is interesting and kind of like a strange choice to insert into an already established universe. And we talked about this before that like when you really break it down and start thinking about it, a, a universe like the comic Marvel universe, or even at this point we're approaching with the MCU has so many different things going on that it's, it's almost like hard to wrap your head around where you just kind of have to compartmentalize stuff as you're reading because yeah. otherwise you could never get through anything, right? I think we I think we literally echoed this point in the first episode when we talked about the TVA. Like the very yeah. first episode of our show, we talked about how I think either the exact same words, like there's too much. You have to just be like, Well, this is this is for this story, and these are for these mm-hmm. stories, and never the two shall meet. Like they can't all exist because then it's just chaos. Cause you're sitting here and you're thinking like, well, again, we, we, we definitely read this before, but it's like, there's like eight different versions of hell and like the afterlife in the Marvel universe. And it's like, well, do these all actually coexist? How do you, where do you go when you actually die? Like, yeah. how do they decide that? Like, like science is like science is there's science with Tony Stark and then yeah. there's Asgardian magic science, but then there's Dr. Strange magic. So right. Where like those are, those are all the same. How could you, what could the... you ever know what you were dealing with? Again, it's just kind of, and and with the Eternals, Jack Kirby essentially set out to create like the creation myth for the Marvel universe. And it's like, is this thing is this a thing we really needed in yeah. a universe that already has like the Norse gods and the Greek gods and all this? Like, and is this where we needed to go? And like Galactus and all these yeah. like forces, because it feels like at some point it's like you have yeah like eight different versions of the same story it's like well according to this comic this is this is where humans come from and according to this one it's from this and and according to this we're aliens and according to this it's the the kree made us and according to this the celestials made us all and it just gets a little like it feels like you cover the same ground yeah of the stuff and you know there's eight different methods of time travel depending on which series you're in and which character you're talking about and, and there's eight different ways the multiverse works and yeah and like how how come Surely the you know one character doing one time travel in a book would ruin everything else. And again, it's like you just kind of have to say, "Hey, this is this thing." And I will say, I think the MCU has a greater focus on that sort of continuity than the comics do in reality, mm-hmm. because it's been built for maybe not from the ground up. And again, we talked about this last week, Iron Man. I don't know if they thought from like literally day one, but early on they decided they wanted to have a continuous universe that made sense. Which that is not always the focus in comics if anything like there's a reason that it's like an accepted joke among comic fans that everyone everything that ever happens is retconned eventually every character who ever dies comes back to life comics don't give a shit right yeah because they live in such a because they live in such a fantastical comic book world you can always just do anything ultimately at the end of the day Mm -hmm. and so i think because the mcu is a little more focused on that i i do think that they have a good reason for bringing in the Eternals, and they are going to make use of them, and the lore that they establish in this movie is going to make sense. Now, whether, again, it's a little too lofty and it's a little too much, and it makes for a, a Bl- bloated kind film, of experience. Yeah, 
a film that in and of itself is not perfect obviously remains for us to be seen but again from what we're seeing i I think it's it is probably fair to say or it certainly could be true but um i do think that they probably did bring in the eternals for a reason even though we just got (laughs) they're saying like well what are they thinking why would they bring them in why did bring them in kevin foggy why'd you do that renowned and and continuously successful well, producer Kevin Feige thinking this is it he's lost it guys he's lost he can't have done it sure he did Endgame sure he made Thanos a household name For two dozen absolutely like blockbuster films that he made prior to this those were all flukes yeah this is it he his real colors he, he took he's a, off his rocker I can't believe it the, all that time he made like a multi-billion dollar franchise before he even had Spider-Man like oh, before he even he hasn't even he didn't have the X Men or Fantastic Four, the three of the most popular properties. Till it's like well, I guess we sound pretty negative. I am so excited for this movie. I am going yeah. to go and going. I, I'm going to try to like this. I've heard the end credit scenes from what I've just heard. I was gonna, are insane, yeah. like are crazy. So I'm very excited, at least for that. That's why I said what I just said. It's like I bet that they have a good read. Like. We think now, like, man, why are they bringing these random C-tier, weird-ass, like, freaking philosophical Eternals these characters? Betas. What is this about? <laughs> and I think by the end, we'll be like, oh, this is going to be This sick. is the greatest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's meeting Thor. <laughs> yeah, we're going to go full soy boy in there. Yeah, we always so. do, though. But I will say, I, I think it's safe to say that it will not be getting that Oscar that Kevin Feige won. No, it won't. I didn't think it would. Regardless of what we end up thinking about it, it doesn't seem like it's the kind of you know powerhouse of a of a story that. Hey man, the Academy's all be. all advertising. So if Kevin Feige can pull enough strings, he might Maybe. be able to do it. If he did it, he'd be an absolute mad lad for it. All right, let's attack into the last little thing we want to talk about this week. This will be nice and quick. To right, this quick out. little thing we. So, I found this thing on Twitter. <laughs> so I found this thing on Twitter, which was a ranking of all your favorite Star Wars characters. And essentially what it did is just a list of 100-something Star Wars characters, literally. And um, it's not it's not too involved of a quiz. It's just you continuously put them head-to-head against each other until it you know narrows down in order for you. And I saw this and I was like, ah, oh, this would be fun. Even though obviously I have a, like to think I have a pretty good idea in my own head of who are my favorite characters. I was like, this, this would be interesting to do. And then I sent it to Jack because I thought it would be fun to talk about on the show. And I also thought it'd be funny because I knew Jack would not know many of these characters' names. I, oh, my God. I went to do it today. And the first two, I was like, who the fuck are either of these people? And I had to, like, for, like, five minutes, I'm looking up names. I'm like, this is horrible. This is not, like, some of them I just didn't look up. Like, I just, like, I... I'm uh, not this name. Like if I didn't know well, the I name, think, I never voted for I it. I think there's, I think there's probably two things at work here. Is is there's certain characters in there that you literally have n- probably never seen in anything. You do not know. You have no opinion on them because you didn't watch or read or whatever the the thing that they're in. And then there's also some that are in there that you do know if you would be reminded of their names, but you do not know them by name. No. <laughs> if I, is that a is that a fair estimate? And many of them add on to that are from Rogue One. Uh, which <laughs> isn't a running joke that we have is that I always say is the best Star Wars movie. And I always say that Zach hates it, even though he does it. He loves those. He loves the movie more than I do because he's a Star Wars fan, bigger Star Wars fan than me. And he'll always say, name any of the characters. And I can only name three of them. And those being Jin, uh, her father, James Clydesdale, 
and the pilot who helps her, James Clydesdale. Ridiculous. You know them now. You don't need to do this anymore. We have definitive proof that you know their names. Uh, you can't prove that. Uh, uh, All right, Jack. So let's run down our top our top five. Now, I will say, like, I think at some point it becomes hard to, I don't know about you, but for me to literally, like, head-to-head my absolute favorites because it's like, I, I don't know how to quantify this in my own yeah. mind, right? But I will say, like, I think my top They fucking 10, spelled general say. wrong. I'm sorry. They spelled general wrong. <laughs> Uh, I just they? noticed. Yeah. For under for G E N R A L General, not General. Uh, they literally spelled it shit. as it was said. What a I hate this quiz now. But I would say like my top ten are probably pretty accurate as to my top ten, I would say, right? Yeah. Would you agree? Again, um, whether the whether the particular order is No, I is, would not say because they didn't have fucking Plo Koon. It made me fucking mad. If they I was Plo- gonna bring him <laughs> No, if they had Plo Koon, he definitely would have been on this list. Like what the I, fuck? I totally agree, Jack. Very disappointed by the lack of Plo Koon because it's it. I, I will say that's the thing about this little thing in general. It was strange to me what they, which, which characters they did and didn't have. Um, because yeah. they got pretty obscure with some of them. Of like these are side characters from shows and stuff. You know, characters who have relatively little like screen time or or lines or actual like story content. Yeah. And then yeah, it's like to me, Plo Koon is exactly on the level of. Kit Fisto, Ayla Sakura, Shakti. Oh, absolutely. essentially all those other all those other Jedi, right? All those other like um, Mundi. non yeah, non main character Jedi from the prequels who really only have pretty much any character to speak of in because the of their Wars. appearances in Clone Wars. Which that applies probably more so to Plo Koon than any of the other ones. Oh, absolutely. He has more, I would if I had to guess off the top of my head, I would say he has more or at least comparable levels of, of character and story and episodes to Shakti, Elisakura, Luminara, Kiati Mundi, Kifisto, all those guys. Oh, yeah. I, I would have, I would, if you made me like guess, I would have thought that Plo Koon had the most. So I, I agree. Whoever made this, whoever made this, uh, like Plo Koon hater. Absolute oversight. Yeah. But so like, what do you, what do you, what do you got there on your list, Jacko? For 10, or, want to do top 10 or top five? I mean, it's quick. We'll do top five. How about? Uh, tough. Okay. To start with. All right. So my top five. Fifth place is a tie between Qui Gon Jinn and Kit Fisto. You have a tie? Yeah, for fifth place. Mine didn't. I didn't produce any ties. Well, maybe I'm better than you. Uh, I don't know how you pulled that off? Because I clicked on the equal number of times. That's how a tie works. Huh. Um. So, I, sorry, I I got distracted. Who, yeah, what names did you actually say? I you didn't even hear. You just heard tie. You were like, oh my god. <laughs> So, so, did you say Kit Fisto and Qui Gon? Yeah, Qui Gon and Kit Fisto. Those are both very good choices. Uh, Kit Fisto, I do not. Uh, gosh, I don't have him super high. I'm not gonna lie. He's 29 for me. Um, Damn, holy just, shit! Not high. You got like him at the fucking well, bottom. I like him just fine, but he's not. Again, he's not much of a character. Um, but Qui Gon for me is eight, so I can. A little totally bit of nostalgia. I won't lie. A lot of it is nostalgia from the Clone Wars because I loved. Kit I mean, Fisto and like, I will say about like i think because star wars has so many characters and there is so many like quirky goofy characters like that i think it's almost like a a thing for star wars fans to have one particular side character that you know is not a super important important developed character but that he's like your favorite like quirky one i literally think that's like a thing oh yeah Um, definitely because, like, yeah, obviously it's easy to say, oh, my favorite character is Anakin, the, char- the character that has, like, the most content. Yeah, like, he's a real developed character yeah, who's in a lot like of movies. the main character. Yeah, exa- exactly. But it's fun to be like, my favorite's 
Biggs Darklighter. And it's like, why? I don't know. No, he's kind of, he's fun. He's just kind of neat. Don't you think? I just think uh, the Marge beam. I just think he's yeah. neat. <laughs> so yeah, I totally agree with that for Kiss Fisto. He's, he definitely is one of my favorite of like just the Jedi. But yeah. I don't know. I, if anything, I'm kind of surprised. I, I I probably like went too hard on this list of like, who, which, which are better characters. And I think that's probably what got me here. I gotta be honest. I favored everyone who could use the force is favored. Yeah, except that. for my number one. My number one may surprise you, Buzzfeed. All right, so my my five Wait. is Luke. Which, ooh, Luke is in my top five as well. Seems, but I was higher. gonna say, and that's why I said like I don't know if this is it, because it's so hard to say like he's I like him more, but I, I think that's again pretty milk toast yeah. Star Wars opinion, isn't it? Everyone likes Luke. He's the fucking main character. Um, my number four is Anakin slash Darth Vader. Anakin for me is actually if you were disappointed by. Kid Fisto, Dang. Anakin. He's how low is he's thirty two for me. Um, thirty two like, again. It seems very. I don't know, man. Damn. I he just does Who's not. For? He just does not like stand out to me as my favorite. I just I've never been the type of guy to be like Darth Vader. Anakin is my favorite. Um, I don't. Uh, I, hate him. I only really like him as Darth Vader because mm-hmm. Anakin's yeah. my four is Ahsoka. Who's your number four? My Ahsoka's low. Ahsoka's like. Nineteen for me, and again, I kind of. I will be fair, is because I would accidentally not click her. I'd be like, "Oh wait, that was Ahsoka." Shit, (laughs) I would. I kind of mess up my own rank because I wouldn't pay attention enough. I could. I could also see why that would be for you. Like you've not watched as much of the Clone Wars as me, and you've not watched Rebels, so like you don't have as much to go off of for her. So I think it's fair. Uh, My number three was Mace Windu. My number three is Kane and Jarrus. I don't know that. Oh, I don't know that is. He's the. uh, He's one of the main guys on Rebels. Um, I I actually was pretty. I've tried to be pretty good to uh, Mace Windu. He's he's twenty seven for me because I really do think he's interesting as a character. He's not. And again, this is like I think I probably I probably did this test somewhat wrong. Is uh, <laughs> I think he's a very good character. He's definitely not one of my favorites. Like I don't like him. Which again, I probably did this wrong. I probably should have just been more going more goofy. Like like ah nah, but Kid Fisto, he's fun, isn't he? Yeah, let's go Kid Fisto. Like ah. Freaking wedge is wedge Antilles. He's a fun. Who the He's fuck is wedge and wedge Antilles? Who oh. is that? <laughs> like, um, like gosh. truly, who is that? I didn't look oh. him up. Who is that? <laughs> so wedge Antilles is a pilot, a rebel pilot in um, the original trilogy. He um, has the famous distinction of being the only rebel pilot to survive all of the major battles um, throughout the original trilogy. That is the Battle of Yavin, the Battle of Hoth, and the Battle of Endor. Is and he Ewan McGregor's uncle? He is. He's played... Yes, that is correct. How did you know that, but you didn't know who the fuck he was? Well, because I watched the little mini-dog, little eight-minute thing of, from the on YouTube oh, with Ewan McGregor's like... Oh, how did you not know? No, no, hold, and he was like, yeah, I went to see Star Wars when I was young because my uncle was in it, and I was like, we're going to see Uncle Evan or whatever. And then I got... He's like, imagine my surprise when I got Star Wars. You goober! What the f- fuck yes, off? He's he is portrayed by Dennis Lawson, who is his Ian name was Wedge. Sponsor. I'm not gonna feel bad for not a guy named Wedge. Anyway, my number two is Luke Skywalker. <laughs> my number two is Obi Wan. That's okay. That makes my Obi Wan's my number twelve. He could have probably. I mean, it was, it was tough because I didn't use the I like them both feature. If I used that more, probably would have been yeah, higher. Yeah, it to- it said it. You weren't supposed to. So. Yeah, that's probably why I have a tie with Kit Fisto. I must have used that. So. Okay, who's your number one? I want you to guess my number one. Okay. We can do it for each other, I suppose. Um, For you, you, so you said it wasn't a Force one, so that's a little hint. Yeah, my you number one yeah. surprise My number one will surprise you, and he's not a Force user. Um, I was, As soon as you said he wasn't a Force user, 
I don't know if this would surprise me though. So I guess maybe this doesn't make sense, but I, I was thinking Han Solo because he's obviously like the most significant non-force user probably. Ooh, in the whole it's not Han Solo. Han Solo and is low for me. Where I know you him? love Solo. So Han Solo is twenty-one. Oh, but that well, might so have been me not it? paying attention. My one one character rank from this list is Din Djarin from the Mandalorian. Oh. Yeah, that's a really solid pick. Yeah, I that, li- doesn't, that doesn't surprise well, me. I know one yeah, of the yeah, I, know I, like I, I I really like Dan. I like his character, but also because yeah. uh, he wants to be the coolest guy in the world, and no one will let him. And he's and he doesn't know that he's in Star Wars because he doesn't know yeah. anything about Star Wars. <laughs> Everyone's like, "How do you not know this stuff? You live here." And he's like, "I don't, I don't, I don't know. I'm Pedro Pascal. What do you want from me?" I guess I should have guessed that. He's he's uh, number seven for me. He's also very That's high. Pretty high. I, yeah, I think he's great. I, All right, give me two. Give, sounds... me, give me two hints. Like I give you two hints, then, so I can guess your number one. Hints, okay. Like I um, like I did. Um, it's gonna be. I feel like these are all too easy. I can't think of any that are. Um, he's a he's a re- relatively recent addition. It's a Kylo Ren. Can't. It is. Fuck! I I knew it. Once you said I, it was hard. I was like, it's got to be Kylo Ren. I knew it. He's number ten for me. He's in my top ten. Well, because I was like, he's in the sequel trilogy. Oh, Jack's just gonna guess Kylo Ren. He's a villain. Oh, Jack's just gonna guess Kylo Ren. Like, I, so I guess even still, I couldn't do it. it hard. But yeah, Kylo Ren is my number one. Um, I really like. He's ten. Kylo Ren slash Ben Solo. I think he's great. And, yeah, I. You uh, know what? I would. What? I guess we. I guess we. If we ever talk about the sequels on this show in depth, well, I'll, I'll talk about it more. It kills me that in Episode Nine. Once Kylo Ren becomes a good guy, he has no lines of dialogue. It's this is a that is the yeah, worst. That's the worst part of that movie for me. Very much a common complaint. Like what the fuck? Yeah. Defend yeah. that new Star Wars show. Why? I, no, I I disagree. I I don't. Um, you don't disagree. No, I don't. Yeah, like that's. Like, I mean, oh, I mean, just in general, the Rise of Skywalker literally may be my least favorite. Oh, the worst uh, one. Star Wars movie. Yeah. Um. And that's a choice that I definitely hate. I mean, I, yeah, I really disagree with a lot of the decisions they made in there, storyline-wise. And that's oh, yeah. that is one of the most egregious. That, that's one that everyone hates because Kylo Ren is like, I think even among people who dislike the sequels, he's universally, I think, known as like he's like the best part. Is oh yeah, is, uh, Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. I like. I didn't like him in Episode Seven. I famously, uh, famously for me, I don't. But like, I w- I had like I was against the grain. Where I was like, I don't like Kylo Ren. He's kind of bitchy and annoying and like a bratty. And then in episode eight, Ryan Johnson was like, I was like, fuck, this is really cool in episode eight. No, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think I was right there with you. I don't think I had this, uh, I don't think I held him that highly before episode eight. I think someone had absolutely, not you, someone else. Kills it in that. I, oh, I totally agree. And everyone hates it, but it's he's it, it's incredible. He's on, he's he gets the, so much more depth and stuff to his character. He gets so many good lines. Oh, the line, the, the throne room yeah. scene when he's like, you gotta let go. Just, just let go. You're still holding on. We don't need you to let go. Oh, so good. Good stuff. Absolutely good it's stuff. Great. Did you have anyone that you wanted to ask me about? Because you literally didn't know who they were. Um, I think Wedge was the only one. Oh no, there's somebody else. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. Which one's Kial Mundi? I never recognize his name. I can't remember. Um, Kenny Mundi is the Jedi with the really tall head. That's Kial Mundi. Oh. Okay. Who is fucking is Luminara? Undali? Who the hell is that? Luminar Unduli is, an, is another Jedi Master from the prequels. Oh. Um, she's got, like, greenish skin. She's got a green lightsaber. She wears, like, black robes. Like, oh, black robes. oh, that's... Oh, okay, that's her? Oh, okay. Yeah. If I had known, I probably would have put her higher. I like her. She's in the Clone Wars. Who else? Cool. Um, who's Orson Krennic? 
Orson Krennic is the villain of Rogue One. Oh man, Director Krennic. Huh. Wow. The all white guy. Maybe. I... Oh, holy Palming shit! Really? Oh, man of your time. So I have seven. I have a seven-way tie for fifty-second place, and uh, one, two, huh. three, four, five, six. I have a six-way tie for forty-sixth place, and a go. hold on, four-way tie for sixty-second place, and a three-way tie for sixty-eighth place. I can't believe you don't know who Orson Krennic is. What do you mean you can't? You didn't believe? bother. You didn't bother looking him up. I, I think I did. I just forgot because I just don't care. He's great. I He's like. Got a, I love him actually. I don't. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I only what took. Do you, you even marry him? I only took a screenshot of the top of my list, so he doesn't actually cut. He's not in the top thirty-six for me, at least. But um, I think he's great. I, I love him. I love the that performance. Farming, really? Not of your talents. Gotta watch that movie again. It's a great movie. It's great. Oh, it's great. Oh, you, you need to come back. The work is stalled. <laughs> There's so many memes from that scene in particular. It's not much, but it's a simple life. It's honest work. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. I think that, that uh, sums it up. You want to take us out, Jack? Of course. As always, we thank you so much for listening to us. Uh, please tell your friends, tell your loved ones, tell your enemies, tell them all. Tell everyone you can tell. Screw over the mountaintops about our show, please. One day, I want to have Wes Anderson and Willem Dafoe on this show separately. I want a big celebrity <laughs> guest. That's my dream. I want I want this show to have real political weight in the world. I want to be a mar- martyr or an icon, anything. We are... We are trying to build an army. Trying to build an army. Uh, through dumb pop culture references. As always, you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Amazon slash Audible. And as always, you can uh, tweet us at Akatech Jazz. at Jazz with one Z. And you can email us at Jazz at gmail.com with any uh, comments, uh, questions, or suggestions of what you want us to review on a certain episode. Uh, a series, um, a, sh- a movie, a series, if you recommend, uh, might be a little more contentious because obviously we'll have to spread out that watching. But, I mean, at this point, anything could happen. Uh, as always, our logo was done by friend of the show, Jeffrey Gonzalez. You can find him at inkocean.jpg or, and on Instagram and at his Redbubble store uh, to buy some of his merch on very, uh, his artwork on various things. And as always, we wrote it, we produced it, we built all the sets. Say goodnight to people, Zach. Good night. Good night. Godspeed.